0: I'm curious how to say it, touchy-feely. What's wrong with that, Jay touchy-feely? Besides, he sounds like a 10-year-old fit. ...written
1: permission of WQAM, BC Broadcast Group, Incorporated.
0: The biggest name. Even Chris would like to look talent. like Tom Brady. Uh-huh. And you're home Miami Dolphins Uh-huh. And me too.
1: Uh-huh. Sports Radio 560 WQAM. Miami,
0: Fort Lauderdale. So how about those Patriots? Brady plays his worst game of the season, man, and they still kick ass. They uh, coasted in, no sweat.
1: Abraham, give his orange jumpsuit and fedora darah He screwed a lot of people but these sometimes get calm I God it for varieties come. Everybody here seen good Christian Dobson. He'll be more around their time. He's not convicted yet, but should be before he's done. Taking a shower with his son. All right. Favors and lies is what the White House is for. Or religious Christian to know what's best for you and me. Abraham all that right, He was in some deep. In other words, do and Anybody here? Please say. Stand- i to lay late of and
0: Well, 10.03 at 560, WQM. what are we doing working on a holiday, huh? Well, someone has to. I don't get it. Well, we were given the choice, at least I was. Were you given a choice? Uh, no, I was told, uh, George said, I'm going to take my day off. I was like, okay. No, I told George you could have off today. It was, it was like, you know, one of us is going to work and one of us have the day off. And i like, well, you have the day off, George, because I may uh, need some days off soon anyway. You? Maybe. Uh, hopefully, but you never know. How about those Patriots, huh? Oh, yeah, they played uh, pretty marginal at best. Congratulations. Rady, uh, three picks, man, that's not good. Let's not get too sports intensive, but nevertheless, three picks. Not one of his better games to say the best. And he still cruised on in there at the ass end, you know? I'm sure you would have covered him. Now, see what? You're, you're getting like a little dog there. Why does everybody have to bring this into? Just Tom Brady's name gets mentioned right away. What does he look like? It's a sexual thing. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, you know? My favorite athletes of all time were some of the ugliest guys who ever played Hank Bauer in baseball, Johnny Bauer in hockey, Papa Bauer in soap operas. Ugly, old. So, you wouldn't have comforted him? Well, what comfort my ass, okay? What well, comforted him? You're such a schmuck, you know? But we got Chris here today. We don't have Josh Curtis because he shined us. He shined us. Shine on Harvest Moon, baby. And so, as a result, we got, uh, let's see, Curtis this afternoon because you know damn well on Martin Luther King Day that uh, J- Jackson ain't going to be working. No way, Jose. So, we got Curtis from 2 to 4. Mad Dog, 4 to 7, who continues to disrespect, just like I am. All right. The holidays. Well, he, you know, he's he got to work, what, 20 days a year, and this is one of them. Then we got Dolphins All Assets with the John Linder and Troy Drayton, 7 to 9, and the Beast, Night to midnight. The Beast last night, I do believe, because the DA show starts tomorrow night. The Ducks Ass The show. District Attorney? The DA, Ducks Ass. No, it's, uh, what is, it? I, I don't even know what his name is. Damon Amendalara. Damon Amendalara from Kansas City starts tomorrow night, 9 to midnight, right here on QAM. Then he won't be on on Wednesday because we got hurricane basketball crap. But he's on after the game. But at any rate, well, he starts tomorrow. So this is the beach last night tonight, right? Yep. Oh, and um
2: we found out that your uh, favorite producer is leaving too.
0: Robert Gripper. Correct. Is leaving. Oh, he uh, he got a job in um, oh.
2: He what? He got a job in
0: Arizona or something like that Party. with the IRS. Yeah, yeah. With the IRS. Uh huh. Oh, we all better watch now. We're all going to get audited now. Robert Creeper is working for the uh, IRS. But still. Party. Yeah. Now, doesn't that come as a shock to you? Did you believe he would ever leave? Um, actually, he's one of the people that I thought would, like, you know, be buried here. Yeah. He's been there for 100 years. He knows where all the bodies are buried. Well, a lot of people leaving, a lot of people uh, taking big pay cuts, all kinds of bizarre stuff going on. But we don't want to get into that on a holiday. That would be bad. You trying to start stuff again? No. Apparently, the adage, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, doesn't apply to politics. Somebody better tell Barack Obama, by the way, that Ronald Reagan was not a great president, was a racist bastard, was a uh, piece of turd who tripled the national debt with his tax cuts for the rich with that trickle-down bullcrap. And, uh, you know, stop talking about Ronald Reagan and how the Republicans have all the good ideas. Not a good idea, Barack. But he believed in uh, flying saucers. Tensions between the Obama and Clinton campaigns escalated this weekend when officials traded charges about conduct on the ground during the Nevada caucuses Saturday. No more caucuses, please. Let the people vote. Let's have primaries. The whole concept of the caucuses is crap. And once again, the media totally misreading the whole concept of this thing. With Oh, the Culinary Workers Union is going to hand it to Obama. Now he's got the endorsement. And uh, uh, these uh, caucuses on the strip, that's where he's going to win all the big... Well, it didn't happen. Aides for Barack Obama, who lost the first in the West contest, announced they would ask the state Democratic Party to review reports that Clinton caucus organizers had sought to block entry to certain sites a half hour before the official deadline, as outlined in the Clinton campaign caucus manual. The Clinton campaign fired back and was considering its own legal options in response to a barrage of voter intimidation complaints about Obama tactics. Obama officials said they weren't contesting Clinton's victory and were seeking the review to prevent confusion in future caucuses. Of course, she won the uh, popular vote, but he won the uh, delegates 13 to 12 alleged. But Obama campaign lawyer Bob Bauer, no kin to Papa Bauer or Hank Bauer or Johnny Bauer, said the early closing times appear to have had a clear-cut disenfranchising effect. Clinton spokesman Howard Wolfson said the Obama campaign was peddling false claims and grasping at straws to explain its loss. Overall, the Obama campaign said it fielded over 300 caucus day complaints via a hotline set up for field staff. Wolfson said Clinton workers also logged hundreds of complaints. But a bleep, 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 Dirty, nasty campaign, rotten, as rotten and dirty as it gets. Even as dirty as the Republicans, which is saying a lot. And the Obama campaign has released a recording of a phone call they claim went out to numerous people in Nevada. The recording says Obama's rarely used middle name, Hussein, four times emphasizing it. Barack Hussein Obama. And this is the way the call goes. And it was uh, transcribed from somebody's uh, recording machine. I'm calling with some important information about Barack Hussein Obama. Barack Hussein Obama says he doesn't take money from Washington lobbyists, or special interest groups, but the record is clear that he does. In fact, Barack Hussein Obama has taken millions of dollars from federal lobbying firms, Wall Street and big oil and pharmaceutical companies. It's all there on the record. The facts are clear. You just can't take a chance on Barack Hussein Obama. Not that they're they're all full of crap. That's the problem. All full of crap. South Carolina, he better win big. You know what I'm saying? He better win big, big time. And the reason John McCain won on Saturday is because uh, people are starting to take a look. And, of course, well, oh, well Romney won big in Nevada. Yeah, he won because only he and Ron Paul were the only ones that showed up there. Nobody else campaigned there. So Ron Paul came in second, and uh, Romney uh, just kicked ass there. And you see the Mormon vote? See, this election this year is not about anything to do with issues. Even though we're going into a bad recession and uh, oil is going to be four bucks a gallon and uh, Iraq and all the other stuff that's been going on and uh, people losing their freedoms and losing their jobs and illegal immigration, all of the issues, it's not about issues. It's about race, gender, and religion. That's what this election is all about. And with the Republicans, the question is, A, who's the biggest hawk? And B, who's the biggest religious fanatic? Who's the greatest getchke of them all? And Mark Huckleberry, he can't win a fixed race, Huckleberry Hound. Even in South Carolina. Nothing could be finer than losing South Carolina. So John McCain wins by default because it's the worst field of dreck to come down the pike in a long time. And John Edwards, what's he staying in there for? He got 4% in Nevada. And he's, uh, he's going to tough it out, baby. Yeah. Don't you have to laugh at people like that? They don't, they don't get the message. Hey, it's their money. It's his money? You know, it's somebody else's money, I'm sure. Well, you know. In Romney's case, it's his money. But uh, I don't think John Edwards got that kind of money like, like a Mitt Romney. But it's true, if if people want to flush their money down the toilet with John Edwards, he's got two chances, much less than none, and zippity-doo-dah, none, no chance. Gets 4% in Nevada, and remember they were saying the stories just before uh, the weekend, oh, it looks like a toss-up three-way race in Nevada, it's too close to call. Well, it was close, but he wasn't uh, part of the close. Remember that? There was Mm -hmm. actually one poll that showed that Edwards with a slight lead. He gets 4% caucus my ass this is the, the whole process man sucks it's designed uh, for chicanery, for crap, for sugar canery. Well I got a lot of stuff here. Where's that poll from a Friday? What's your take on Barack Obama and, and here's part of the, a big part of the problem. Here's what the problem is he's black. not real dark black but uh, too black for a lot of people. 1634 votes. what's your take on Barack Obama? He's okay 548. Our next president 415. Unelectable, 299. I love him, 158. Too dark for me, 140. Eight and a half percent. And can't stand him, 74. Too dark for me. Don't you think that's uh, a large part of what this is all about? Yeah, of course. A lot of what? And she's winning huge in the white folks. He's winning huge in the black folks. And, of course, the brown votes, he got the majority of that. She got like 64% of the Julio's. And guess what? When you get to California and Arizona and New Mexico, when you get to that southwest and you can't do better than that in the Julios, you're not going to win. There just aren't there. I mean, there's a lot of dark folks in California. Don't get me wrong. But there's a hell of a lot more white folks and Latinos than there are black folks. So, that, you know, that's, that's what there is to discuss, not the issues on the Democratic side. It's uh, race and gender. The women are voting for her in gigantic old and age. Under 45, big for Obama. Over 45, we love Hillary, we love you. It's, uh, we don't understand his name. We know Clinton, Clinton, Clinton. Yeah, that's it. That's all they know, Clinton. Makes me sick to my stomach. Makes me want to vomit. But, yeah, a lot of puking going on. And as far as Florida's concerned, do you think Obama's got any chance in Florida? Probably no. not. From minutes after 10 at 560, WQM. It's a holiday, baby, and we're still here grinding away for you. We're grinding it.
3: ill God? And now Mr. Dan Gernstein, campaign advisor for the Joe Lieberman presidential
1: campaign.
4: 10-17,
0: 10-17, you know, every time I see him, which thank, thankfully, latefully, not too much, but when I see him on TV, I really get sick to my stomach. I get violently ill. I get dry heaves. I want to puke for days and weeks and months. Jewel Lieberman, man, he makes me nauseous. Talk about a turncoat. Talk about a piece of turd, okay? Take your chits and wrap them around your neck and squeeze real tight, you lunatic, you maniac, you schmageggy. Anyway, let's take a look at a poll this week. I mean, today. This week. Maybe we'll leave it up all week. What do you say? No, Sounds good. Hey, it's a holiday, man. George ain't working today. And uh, what's his name? Jerks, he's not working. Now, did he lose again the other day or what? Um, I really don't know. I can find out for you. Yeah, they did. They lost their... I forget who they lost to. They lose every day. At least they're consistent. Of course. How are the Dolphins doing? <laughs> um, yeah, they're doing really good. They're uh, scouting really well. <laughs> they're what? Scouting really well. Oh, Good. How's the uh, Parcells era so far? And don't forget about, what's his name, the new head coach? Uh, what's his name? Huh? huh? Uh Huh? Tony huh? Soprano? Huh? 578 votes. I don't think you're going to make no thousand today. It's a holiday. What do you expect? Plus, I don't know what time I put this up there. Yesterday, middle of the afternoon, I guess, on a Sunday. Never a good idea to put a new pool up on a Sunday. Want to you know why? Because everybody's watching football. I was. I was nervous about that game until, uh, you know, the last few minutes, and then they kind of coasted on in, man. Coasted in. Am I right? Was there any yep. drama? It wasn't one of those games like we've had in recent weeks with the Patriots trying to keep their unbeaten streak alive. And in the last few minutes, they just coasted on in. They kept control of the ball. Asante Samuel made that nice interception, and they, like, uh, ran out the clock. Nice going, Tommy boy. He now, i got to say, um, I, uh, did Asante Samuel make one or two interceptions? I don't remember. I remember the one that uh, sealed the deal load and turned the end of the game. Yeah, I don't remember
2: what it was. It's just because I was kind of going back and forth. He's great. But um, I remember the interception he made... Um, was made because I think Teddy Bruschi, Bruschi, whatever his name Bruschi. is, um, Get right. leg whipped the uh Philip Rivers.
0: Oh, here we go again. No, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no, no,
2: That, that was all the pictures. The uh, the Chargers had their chances and they couldn't get touchdowns. They could only get field. That's goals. That's right. They were and in the end zone 800 going the to they field, field goals, man. If you can't
0: stick it in the end zone, you are not win exactly. many games. But no, I, I saw that leg whip. I was like, "Oh, why don't you cry about? Legal? Well, if LT would have played, it would have been a different result." Wah. You are the definitive Dolphin man, crybaby. Just like all this crap about the seventy-two Dolphins, they couldn't lick this team's ass, okay? And they might like to, believe me. And that is correct. They could. They're not in the same league as this uh, Patriot team, but it's also a different time. Earl Morrill, my ass, and Bob Greaseball, and all these other... Oh, and Larry Zuckett, I ran like an old... Like a grandma with her legs tied together. And Jim Kick, give me a break. Anyway... Who is more electable, is our poll question. Oh, there is a Mike Huckleberry hound. Oh, I,
5: I thought it was a pretty good indication that Huckabee uh, would not rule out the possibility. He gave a very kind speech towards John McCain. Oh,
0: yeah, he wants to be the vice president. Then he'll have McCain bumped off, and then he can come in there with all this farbicina and turn it into a Christian country. That's right. You'll all be pledging allegiance to the Bible, the New Testament, the King James Version, whatever that means. 583 votes. Who's more electable? Barack Obama, 198. Hillary Clinton, 184. Almost dead even. Neither won, 145. And I don't care, 56. That's, uh, <laughs> that's appropriate, as in Q56. I don't care, 56. What's this got to do with sports and ball games, baby? Nothing. And Eli Manning, oh my God. I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. He's playing really well. He's playing well uh, now. I don't, I don't understand. And like I told you, maybe it's uh, a fake deal. I he plays Daddy well Archie, on the road. Okay, if I have to see Archie Manning one more time, I don't want to see Archie Manning. He's 100 years old.
2: Well, I'll you didn't have to see him his to brother see him. at least.
0: What? You didn't have to see Peyton at least. Yeah, thank God for that. He didn't show up there. He didn't want to jinx his brother. And Brett Favre choked there at the end of the game. Nice going, Brett. I can't stand him. I told you that. I mean, like you hate Tom Brady. I can't stand him I Brett don't Favre. hate Tom Brady. Yes, you do. You hate him like poison. I would love to have Tom him. Brady as a dolphin. Don't say that. They'll come and lynch your ass. You better watch it. That's not from the Dolphin playbook. The Dolphin playbook says you have to hate him like poison. Tom Brady, he's ah, he's yeah. just lucky. If I have a hate for him, it's because he's too good looking. I don't care about that. I do. That's for you. Well, I mean, it's just like a little bonus thrown in there, okay? A little I what? Root for te- I don't root for teams based on how the players look. I mean, what kind of crap is that? He was playing for Michigan when I became a Patriots fan. When I said this Dolphins organization makes me sick, they make me nauseous. So you became a Patriots fan when Bledsoe was there? That is correct. Never... Tom Brady was still in Michigan. Nobody including him had any idea he'd ever play for the Patriots. So all this crap about, oh well Neil, he's just an old fag and he likes the Patriots because Tom Brady's hot. Well, I mean that, you know, doesn't hurt, but that's got nothing to do with it. That's an added what? A what? That's an added what? Bonus. A what? I didn't say an added bone, I said an added bonus. That's all you know from, man. Pervert. What are you talking about? Anyway, here's the memo. Now, this one doesn't say not for broadcast or anything like that. And, of course, I don't want to say who passed this along to me, although I am a member of the staff still, I guess. Yeah, you're a member of the staff, so I sent it to a fellow member of the staff. From Clarence Darrow about the fall book. And, by the way, Barry Jackass, I'm waiting for the column. They're still trying to figure out how to spin this over there at the Herald, you know, with their business partners, Joel Feinberg and his losers across the street. Why not just write the truth, Barry I looked at yesterday's column, waiting to see about the rating book that came out on uh, Thursday and Friday. Nothing. I'm looking for Jicka to write something about. Nothing. Oh, back in the day when we had people who used to really write about radio, like in a real market, like they do here. In a real market, in a real city where people are living and breathing, they still write about radio. Not here. Not in South Florida. So come on, Barry, when are you going to write your column about how QM kicked the ticket's ass, okay? And how we had an H share here in midday and just destroyed them. When are you going to write it, Barry, you fairy? You fairy. You little wimp. You little turd. God. Couch potato my ass. Anyway, Clarence writes, I, I just mentioned that in passing because it pisses me off that when we do extraordinarily well, which hasn't happened during the Joe Bell era ever before, but finally did, we got a kiss and nobody uh, writes about it. It's like a big secret. Oh, there was a rating book? Well, we don't know anything about that. Yeah. Right. Clarence knows about it. He said, we just had a kick-ass ratings book with two exc- three exclamation points. We, meaning him and Joe Bell. We. WQM finished number two, Men 25 to 54 in the fall 2007 ratings book. He writes, Joe Rose and Jason Jackson took mornings to number four in the market. No, Joe Rose took it to number four, and it could have been higher than that except for, uh, well... And isn't it interesting? How how long was that on the uh, what was it called? The Bowen, uh, the Big Dog and Jacks, uh, September second or something. So to October, November, December, three and a half months. Yeah, four months, basically. And now it's uh, the Joe Rose, the Big Dog, all solo. Joe Rose, thank Oh, touchy-feely, my ass, okay. How come, Joe, you keep talking about how good Tom Brady is, how good-looking he is? Because everybody can see it, okay? Because he's not uptight like you, Jay. Jay touchy-feely, who takes showers naked with other guys. He's worried that Joe Rose says that Tom Brady's a hot-looking guy. Hey, he'd like to uh, yeah, do it with him. Come on, touchy-feely. Haven't we had enough touchy-feelys on the team already? No. Neal crushed all newcomers in middays, rides Clarence with number one finish and an eight share, eight point oh, wow. Hank and the Mad Dog kept it rolling, finishing number one from three to seven with a five point six share. Hank and the Mad Dog. I can't believe they even <laughs> mentioned the Humper's <laughs> name anymore. The departed Humper. That was funny. And don't underestimate the value of the Dolphins, our weekend rank increase from seventeenth to sixth, and our Cube doubled. Specifically, Sundays from 1 to 4 p.m., Dolphins play-by-play. QM was number one with a 13.2 share. A lot of people tuning in to see if it was really Jimmy Syphilis doing a game. And then when they found out it was, they said, oh, my God, are you kidding me? (laughs) Congratulations to the entire WQM programming staff, writes Clarence. And now everybody's going to work for half pay. Oh, it says, everyone worked their butts off. Enjoy the moment, and let's keep the momentum going in 2008. Let's keep the big mo doi, 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 doi. going in 2008. <laughs> Even though we're uh, blowing everybody out the door, let's keep the big mo going in 2008. I never realized Prince was such a funny guy, did you? Mm-hmm. You did? Yeah. I didn't say funny looking. I said funny. Last time I saw him, he was conducting a one-man search party with his hand in his pants, but I don't think he found anything. Did you offer to help? No, I did not. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. <gasps> What is wrong with you today? What is wrong with you? I I think uh I'm not even gonna go into it. I'm not I'm not gonna like try to duplicate your grossness. Okay, that's good. What a disgusting thought. Clarence Darrow with a weenus. Oh jeez. Twenty six after ten at five sixty WQAM. I just
1: got bum 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 paran. Anyway, uh, I think ran is a great rip. Uh, Iranians are continuing their efforts to acquire a nuclear weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, bomb, <laughs> bomb, 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 bom, Iran. Bomb, 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 bomb,
4: Iran. Isn't that old, uh, that old Beach Boys song, bomb, bomb, Iran. <laughs>
0: 1031, he's only 100 years old. He only looks like he just uh, came back from a uh, bad, bad time in Vietnam a couple of days ago instead of years and years ago. But nevertheless, he's against torture because he himself was tortured. He's in favor of murder. That's right. Don't torture him. Kill him. Them being almost anybody. Speaking of dying, a whole bunch of celebrity deaths over the weekend. you see that? I've seen one or two, yeah. You wouldn't know who some of these people are. Let me test you, okay? John Stewart of the Kingston Trio. You know who that yeah, was? Yeah, no.
2: I had John Stewart on a uh, Daily show.
0: Where's Cordis? Well, he wouldn't know who this is either. John Stewart, who wrote the monkey hit "Daydream Believer" and became a well-known figure in the 60s folk mu- a music revival as a member of the Kingston Trio, has died, according to the band's website. He was 68. Just a young pup, 68. Stewart suffered a massive stroke or brain aneurysm and died early Saturday at a San Diego hospital, the band announced on its official website. The world has lost to one of its best men, but a man who lived well and made many people happy with his love, his witnessed music, the announcement said. Stewart joined the Kingston Trio in 1961. Three years after the band released its version of an old folk song, Tom Dooley, that went on to become a big, fat, boobied hit. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Remember that? No. No. Did you ever hear it? Um... No. No. Stewart replaced the band's founder, David Gard, who had left to uh, pursue a new musical direction. Stewart spent six years leading the group, during which time the band recorded 13 albums, according to its website. After the Kingston Trio disbanded in 67, Stewart went on to an acclaimed solo career that included recording more than 40 albums. Nobody ever bought him or heard him, but he recorded more than 40 albums. Stewart's wife, Buffy, and children were at his side when he died. Plans have been announced for memorial services. John Stewart of the Kingston Trio is. Dead. And that's just the first of many on the list. Did you say 13 right. albums in six years? 40 albums. No, 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 no. When he oh, was the band recorded 13 albums, uh, yeah. Wow. In six years. That's two a year. So what's the big deal with that?
2: Now you're lucky to get one every three
0: years. Well, that's that's the way things are now because you don't have any creativity anymore. You got just cookie cutter crap. You know what I'm saying? What are you saying? Suzanne Plachette is dead at age 70. Now, you know who that was? Yes, when I saw her picture, I knew who she was. Well, good. See, there you go. Suzanne Plachette, the Husky Boy star, best known for her role as Bob Newhart's sardonic wife on TV's long-running, and it was an awful show, too, by the way, just horrible, Bob Newhart Show has died. She died? Uh, At age 70. Plachette, whose career included roles in such films as Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds and in Broadway plays, including The Miracle Worker, died of respiratory failure Saturday evening at her L.A. home, said her attorney Robert Finkelstein, also a family friend and a good Jew. Plashette underwent chemotherapy for lung cancer in 2006. I should I should take that back. I don't know whether he's a good Jew or not. Maybe he eats Trafe. Maybe he eats bacon cheeseburgers at McDonald's. Hey, leave mm-hmm. Zach alone. What? Did Zach ever bring you a Mezuzah? No. no. Watch your back, Zach. The Bob Newhart show hits you out at year Run start comedian Newhart is, that ah, we don't want to go into that. Uh, when that show ended in 90. Uh. Plochette reprised her role from the first show in one of the most clever final episodes in TV history. It had Newhart walking up the, waking up in the bedroom of his Bob Newhart show home with Plochette at his side. He went on to tell her of the crazy dream he just had of running an in infield with eccentrics. If I'm in Timbuktu, I'll fly home to do that, Plochette said of a reaction when Newhart told her how he was thinking of ending the show. But whatever that means. <laughs> if I'm in Timbuktu, I'll fly back to do... Oh. It's horrible show, the Bob Newhart show.
2: I think I saw oh, it once or what? twice. That was well, on Daryl and Daryl and Daryl. Don't watch
0: it. Born January 31, 1937 in New York City, Plachette began her career as a stage actress after attending the city's high school of performing parts and studying at its neighborhood playhouse. She often picked her roles because of her beauty and throaty voice. She had a throaty voice. Not that throaty. Uh, she met her future husband. I didn't know this. Tom Poston. Remember Tom Poston? Under the name. From the Steve Allen show and from a lot of other uh, really bad uh, sitcoms, Tom Poston, when they appeared together in the 59 Broadway comedy, The Gold, Golden Fleecing, but didn't marry him till more than 40 years later. After, although the two had a brief fling, they went on to marry others. By 2000, they were both widowed, got back together, marrying the following year. Tom Poston, how do you like that, who died April of last year. He was such a wonderful man, he had fun of every day of his life, Plachette said of Poston. Among other Broadway roles was uh, replacing Anne Bancroft in The Miracle Worker, the 1959 drama about Helen Keller. Meanwhile, she had launched her film with a career with Jerry Lewis in 58 and The Geisha Boy. She went on to appear in numerous TV shows, including Have Gun, Will Travel, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Playhouse, Playhouse 90, and Naked City. In the early 60s, she uh, attracted teenage followers their youthful roles in such films as Rome Adventure, Fate is the Hunter, Young Blood Hawk, and A Distant Triumph. She married fellow teen favorite Troy Donahue, her co-star in Rome Adventure in 64, that lasted less than a year. I thought that, uh, what's her name, Connie was going to marry Troy Donahue in Godfather 3. Remember that? No. I don't know this man. I don't know where he gets his money. If you marry this man, it's going to make me very, very ha- angry. Connie. In other words, he made her an offer she couldn't refuse. Plachette matured in such films as Hitchcock's The Birds and Disney comedies The Ugly Dachshund, Blackbeard's Ghost, Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin. I wonder if that was Merv Griffin. Over the years, Bullwap Griffin. Over the years, she had a busy TV. Well, she's dead. It goes on and on and on. And most of the people listening right now, they wouldn't know Suzanne Pluchet if they came in right now and speared him through the heart with a knife. Guess who else died? And who? They, well, I got, there's an endless number. They say they come in threes. It was like about a zillion over the weekend. I Don Whitman. Who? Who? Who's, uh, who called some of Canada's most significant sporting events died of cancer Saturday. He was 71. They just honored him about two weeks ago, and they slept him out in a wheelchair. He looked like he weighed about eight pounds. Poor Don. For more than 40 years, Whitman was a familiar face on CBC. See, I can't speak today, CBC. That's because it's a holiday. I'm not supposed to be here. My body knows it. And my body is saying, oh, you can't talk today. Here's CBC. Those circumstances. We, we would have uh, uh, less people supporting. What we've tended to have is political circumstances. Yeah, okay, boring. Uh, he did the play-by-play for the Grey Cups and Stanley Cups, covered curling, golfing, track and field, a fixture at both Summer and Winter Olympics. Whitman called Ben Johnson's steroid-tainted victory in 100 meters at the '98 Soul Olympics. He was there when Donovan Bailey sprinted a gold in the same event in the 96 games in Atlanta. He died in a Winnipeg hospital surrounded by his family Saturday. CBC broadcaster Scott Russell, who worked with Whitman at several Olympic and Canada games, called him the most unselfish broadcaster he's ever worked with. Don always believed that his job was to be the guide of a sporting event, Russell said in Vancouver, where he's covering the Canadian figure skating championships. He took us through, he introduced us to the characters, then he let the athlete shine. Don was the guide, he was the storyteller, that's what made him great. And now, he's dead. During the 72 Olympics in Munich, he stood on a balcony, looked into the masked face of one of the terrorists who kidnapped nine Israeli athletes. Whitman, chosen as the 2002 broadcaster of the year by Sports Media Canada, was a member of the Canadian Football League Hall of Fame, Canadian Curling Hall of Fame, and Manitoba's Provincial Sports Hall of Fame. He was big on curling, which, you know, nobody's perfect. And Alan Melvin died. Who? Exactly. Alan Melvin, a character actor best known for playing Sam the Butcher on the Brady Bunch, died. He was 84. I don't remember no Sam the Butcher. I didn't know no godfather. Melvin died of cancer Thursday at his home in the Brentwood section of L.A. said Amelia Melvin, his wife of 64 years. The jolly, jovial Melvin spent decades playing a series of sidekicks, second bananas, and lovable lugs, including Archie Bunker's friend Barney. And all in the family. Now you know who that is? Now I know who it is. He was Barney. Okay. He was a big, goofy-looking guy. And Sergeant Bilko's right-hand man, Corporal Henshaw on the Phil Silver Show. But in his his place in pop culture will be fixed as butcher and Bower Sam Franklin, the love interest of Brady family-maid Alice Nelson, who was played by Ann B. Davis. Mellon played the role from 70 to 73. He was appearing on Broadway in Stalag 17 when he began his decades-long TV career with the Phil Silver Show, playing a role his wife said was always his favorite. He was proudest of that show, Amelia Melvin said. I think the camaraderie of all those guys made it such a pleasant way to work. They were so relaxed. a boop, but a bada He saw steady employment as a voice actor from the early 60s to the 90s, most famously providing the voice of Magilla Gorilla for the Hanna-Barbera cartoon of the same name. His other credits include several guest appearances on The Andy Griffith Show, Gomer Piles, USMC, and The Dick Van Dyke Show, a horrible, horrible, grotesque show. A man with less than no talent, but he had a drinking problem. So, you know, we have to feel sorry for Dick Van Dyke. And all the other Dykes, too. So, uh, that guy's dead. A lot of deaths, wouldn't you say, for one weekend? That's a lot of people. Yeah. Chargers are dead, and so are the uh, Packers. They packed it in. And weren't you kind of shocked? Yes and no. Um, I mean, Giants I'm sorry. Because like if in... the Patriots don't to pick it up a little bit and start playing the way they did the first ten games of the season, if they play the way they did yesterday against the Giants two weeks from uh, yesterday, it's uh, going to be an ugly scene in Arizona. For Patriots fans, you know what I'm saying? Now,
2: where was that final game? Was it in um, New York or in uh, New 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 York? It was in New York? What do you mean final game? The one where uh, they played before. The
0: Giants. Why do you say the final
2: game? Well, it was the final game of the season. No, it was not. Yeah, it was. It was the last week of
0: the season. That was the final game of the season, the Giants game that they pulled out of their ass? Yeah, it was the last week of the season. Mm, Are you sure? I am totally sure. I'll bet your paycheck on it. Are you sure? Positive? I will bet your paycheck on it. <laughs> oh, I could say something, but I better not.
4: The better game. not. The
0: best time Let's sleeping on live.
4: a lot.
6: The Sports Leader. Were you drudge packing?
7: NFL Films presents Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord Split you. Whether it's mustering one win in a 16 game campaign or making a 13 and 3 contender into a 5 and 11 meteor of mediocrity, NFL head coaches know it's not just quarterbacks who get sacked. And so, on any given weekday, Mindy from HR will issue your final paycheck and discuss Cobra health care options. Then, with security leading the way, you'll clean out your desk, grab your ficus plant, and exit the facility to the battle cry, Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you.
0: Okay, 10 14 before 11. I'm sure that Chris was impressed by Tom Brady's shapely ass in that game yesterday. I was looking at ass. Yes, you were. The uh, final score of that game was 38 35 for the pass, and you're right, it was the last, last game of the regular season. Yeah, so just um, endorse it over to Chris Whalen, and uh, I'll be glad to catch it.
4: <laughs>
0: you were making the bet, not me. That, that, that's like my saying, well, I'll bet you all of Bill Gates' money that uh, today's Monday, you know, like that. Not like you'd miss it. You know, what's one check for you? I'd miss it. I have many, many uh, responsibilities in my life, okay? Some of which you're aware of, some of which you're not, including Woodbine, which I had a good weekend at Woodbine. That's good. Thank God for that. I got up Saturday morning nice and early. I went over there, and I had, you know, I, ordinarily I don't tell. Well, yes, I do. I tell some of the stories if they're amusing, interesting. There's this big, heavy-set, smarmy-looking guy with, a, with like, a little bit of a beard, and he's in there. You can, you can always tell when a guy is desperate. He's going from one machine. This is in the, in the high-stakes room. And he's playing the five dollar wheel of fortune, and he's playing all the machines, and he's going from one to the other, and he's got three credits in this one, and two credits in that one, and he's, and so finally he gets off one machine, and I saw he just got to spin for five hundred bucks, and that's the only machine that's spinning. So I thought, well, maybe that's the hot machine, man. And I see he looks back over at me like, ah, yeah, what's, what's he doing over there? Like, you know, like, well, like he owns all the machines. I want a machine, man. And sure enough, I played it for about three minutes, and I come up with uh, 3750 bucks on the line. All right. And he came by, and he's mumbling, oh, gee, I shouldn't have got off that machine. Baby. And I thought to myself, get out of here, you slob, you disgusting loser. Makes me sick to my stomach. How many times have I played a machine, gotten up, and walked away, and somebody else uh, came and you know, won something good? Right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Three times when I was playing those damn $5 machines, three times back in the day, two, three years ago, somebody would come and uh, I'd move from one chair to another one. And somebody would come and sit down next to me playing a machine that I got off of and hit five grand on the wheel. Yeah, it's a, Crap happens, man. Right place at the right time. It's blind luck. Blind luck. So it's not a good investment for your money, although better than the market. Let's see if the S&P is down, shall we, for that jerk? No, look at that. They're in commercial on the gambling channel. That's bad. Uh-oh. And when they go to commercial now, they take everything off the screen. Oh, well, that's right. You want to know why? Because the market's closed today. It's wrong. Uh-huh. It's a holiday. What the hell's wrong with me? Well, I, I, I shouldn't know that, shouldn't I? Sure. As South Carolina's Republican primary election draws nearer, it says, "Oh, that was. Uh, well, what was this article from? Oh, well, he wrote it. Max Blumenthal wrote this the day before Friday." Mike Huckabee ratcheted up his appeals to the racial nationalism of white evangelicals. You don't like people from outside the state coming in and telling you what to do with your flag, the former Arkansas governor told a Myrtle Beach crowd on January 17th, referring to the Confederate flag. If somebody came to Arkansas and told us what to do with our flag, we'd tell them what to do with that pole. That's what we'd do. I'll tell you what to do with the pole, Mike Huckleberry. Jean Ponsy. Making coded appeals to white racism is nothing new for Huckabee. Indeed, well before he was nationally known political star, Huckleberry nurtured a relationship with America's largest white supremacist group, the Council of Conservative Citizens. The extent of Huckabee's interaction with the racist group is unclear, but this much is known. He accepted an invitation to speak at the group's annual conference in 1993 and ultimately delivered a videotape address that was extremely well received by the audience. Descended from the white citizens' councils that battled integration in the Jim Crow South, including at Arkansas's Little Rock High School, the Council of, uh, or COFCC, has been designated a hate group by the Southern Property Law Center, the COFCC. In its statement of principles, the COFCC declares we also oppose all efforts to mix the races of mankind, to promote non white races over the European American people through so called affirmative action and similar measures to destroy or denigrate the European-American heritage, including the heritage of the Southern people, and to force the integration of the races. The COFCC has hosted several conservative Republican legislators at its conferences, including former Representative Bob Barr of Georgia and Senator Trent Lott and his pom-poms from Mississippi, but mostly it's been a source of embarrassment to Republicans hoping to move their party beyond its race-baiting image. Former Reagan speechwriter and conservative pundit Peggy Noonan pithily declared that anyone involved with the COFCC does not deserve to be in a leadership position in America. Position. Say it right. Can you say it? Position. Position. No, position. Position. No, you, you better work on it. It's position. Position. Huh? Like New Jersey. During a lengthy phone conversation in 2006, COFCC founder and former White Citizens Council organizer Gordon Lee Baum Detailed for me, Huckabee's dalliances with his group. He told me that Huckabee eagerly accepted his invitation to speak at COFCC's 93 National Convention in Memphis, Tennessee. Huckabee's plan was complicated, however, when Arkansas Governor Jim Guy Tucker journeyed out of state and appointed a state senator to preside over the governorship. The Arkansas State Legislature passed a resolution forbidding the lieutenant governor from leaving Arkansas until Tucker returned, thus preventing Huckabee from attending the COFCC's conference. In lieu of his appearance, according to Baum, Huckabee sent an audio-video presentation saying, I can't be with you, but I'd like to be the uh, speaker next time. The COFCC promptly replaced Huckabee with Michael Ramirez, a right-wing cartoonist, whose work is currently syndicated to 400 newspapers by the Copley News Service. Uh, Baum's account of Huckabee's videotape message was confirmed by a COFCC newsletter obtained by Edward Sebesta, a veteran uh, veteran observer of the neo-Confederate movement. Arkansas Lieutenant Governor Huckabee, unable to leave Arkansas because the governor was absent from the state, sent a terrific videotape speech, which was viewed extremely well-received by the audience, the 93 newsletter reports. The following year, in 94, the COFCC held its national conference in Little Rock, Arkansas, to accommodate Huckabee. According to Baum, Huckabee initially agreed to speak before the group, but became apprehensive when the Arkansas media reported he'd be joined on the COFCC's podium by Kirk Lyons, a white nationalist legal activist who has hailed Hitler as probably the most misunderstood man in German history. He didn't know anything about Kirk Lyons or anyone else, Baum said of Huckabee. He said he would show up if we took Lyons off. But Baum refused to remove his old friend Lyons from the bill. Huckabee, who was more concerned about receiving bad publicity than by the racist underpinnings of COFCC, withdrew his promise to speak. The COFCC replaced him this time with former Arkansas Supreme Court Justice Jim Johnson, a White Citizen Council founder who organized the mob that rioted against the integration of Little Rock High School and later served as the star narrator of Reverend Jerry Falwell's discredited film, The Clinton Chronicles. In the end, Huckabee's supported relationship with COFCC benefited the group. We had the biggest crowd in our history because of the publicity surrounding Huckabee's planned appearance, Bomb said, of his 94 conference. The COFCC has since rebuked Huckabee for his insufficiently intolerant political behavior. Unfortunately, Huckabee has never rebuked them. Instead, he embraced the group, ignoring its well-known legacy of promoting racism and only severing ties when his political ambitions were threatened by bad publicity. That's my cuckleberry for you. Religious evangelical lunatic. Bigot. That's what white evangelical means. Bigot. You got it? Bigot. Got it. Ticket. Ticket. Bigot. So where's the numbers, Barry Jack? Can you believe that? Here it's Monday. His mom. How many, how many columns did Barry write over the weekend? About 30, man. About crap that nobody cares about. Did he write anything about the ratings? No. About the, between the ticket and the QAM? About anything on here? No. Nothing. Zippity-doo-dah, Barry. What are you waiting for? Joel Feinberg to come over there and write it for you? His mom. Yeah, he's waiting for mom to bring the bologna sandwiches and the peanut butter and jelly. And by the way, bologna and bacon is trafe, Barry, all right? Don't let Joel Feinberg you one of those. He'll burn in hell. Or he'll just get pissed off at you and beat the crap out of you. Maybe that's what Barry's afraid of. Maybe he's afraid if he writes a column about this fall rating book that... Joel Feinberg's going to get really pissed off and come over there and just beat the living snot out of Barry. And if he beat the snot out of him, it would be a lot of snot. You know what I'm saying? What do you say? Yes, you do. 6.64 on your pool. I, I don't know. I don't think you got any shot at 1,000 today. Uh-oh. It's a holiday. Exactly. What do we go for on the holiday? 800? Yeah, sounds good to me. Sounds great. Who is more electable? Uh, you know, I mean, granted, I don't, I don't know if either one of them is electable. And, Of course, I didn't put John Edwards on there because he's, uh, he's out. He doesn't know it yet, but he's out. Nobody told him yet. Hey, Johnny, you're out. You're out, Tom. Maybe I could help. You're out. Six, six, six. Look at that. Is that great? Just before the break, six sixty-six on the pool. Uh oh. Don't you think that's an omen? Uh huh. I guarantee you, if you shave Joe Bell's head, you'll find three sixes on that bald spot. Guarantee it. Hold him down and have Cordes come in there and shave his head. Shave a big bald spot and you'll find three sixes on his head. Joe Bell is the Antichrist. Oh! Well, we know that. And, of course, you notice how quiet Chris becomes when I say that. You don't have to say a word. I know you need the money. I know you have nothing but disgust and disdain and contempt for a lot of things that are happening in that building around you, but you're not going to say it on the air because that would be bad for your future, for when they want to give you this show. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's the Chris Mendrick Show, baby. 1056 at QAM. This is the Neil Rogers Show. You, 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 you this is your
4: brain. <laughs> Any questions?
1: She's a monkey, he's a monkey We're all monkeys now I'm a monkey, you're a monkey She's a monkey, he's a monkey We're all monkeys now Swinging tree to tree We scream and squawk and shout No responsibilities That's what we're all about I'm a monkey, you're a monkey She's a monkey, he's a
4: monkey We're all monkeys now We don't do anything we're told Because we don't
1: He's a monkey, he's a monkey, we're all monkeys now. We're not well-mannered, well-behaved, we just love to drop trowel. We'll do some
4: tricks, we'll make you laugh
1: until we are fed. Then we'll lay down, scratch our butts, and watch you all turn red. Oh, I'm a monkey, you're a monkey, she's a monkey, he's a monkey, we're all monkeys now. We wouldn't want to be a dog, a cat, a horse, or cow. We're smelly and we like it, and we've heard the things you
4: said. So don't come with Monkey, we're all monkeys now. I'm a monkey, you're a monkey, she's a monkey, he's a, a monkey, we're all monkeys now. Swing it, three to dream, we scream as well catch out. The responsibility, that's
0: what we're all about. Oh, 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 oh. 702 at 560, WQAM. Happy Monday. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Now, his birthday was the 15th, but Martin Luther King Day is celebrated on the third Monday of January. Did you know that? I did not know that. Well, now you know that. It's on the third Monday of every January. So regardless of what day the 15th falls on, well, the 15th could never be the third Monday, could it? Oh, yes, it could be. If the first was a Monday, it would be the first, the eighth, Correct. and the 15th. But that's not going to be very often, right? Correct. Well, we better straighten the calendar out. Let's go by the, uh, I don't know, who can we pick? The Siberians. The Siberian calendar says today is, uh, you know, like that. All Let's go sort to of the Incan crap. calendar. Oh, there's the Abyssinian Church in New York and uh, Harlem, where a swillery was uh, pandering yesterday. I mean, uh, speaking. Uh,
8: and all three candidates trying to...
0: She, she, to me, is about as uninspiring as a dead buffo toad. You know what I mean? She I, she speaks, and I listen, and she just sounds so fake and so flat. And You know what I mean? Actually, every time I see her, I get inspired. For Obama, yeah. To no, change she, the channel. she's uninspiring. She's totally uninspiring. Yeah, she inspires me to change the channel. And she is, uh, you know, she's the old, she's uh, everything that we don't like for Democrats. Republicans, that's another story. Like I said, who's the biggest talk, who wants to kill everybody? That's the John McCain. And who's the biggest, the, Getschke, the biggest Bible thumper? Is it Mitt Romney with his magic underwear? Is it my cockleberry Hound with his Christian nation and all this other crap? I mean, the Republican Party man is strictly for white goyim. That, that's all it is. Who's more electable? That's our poll question today. Chris is pretty upset because we're not going to make a 1,000. But it's a holiday, so we've got a good excuse. Yeah, I'm crying over here. 684. We're pretty happy about the rating book last week that nobody in the local media has written a word about. How do you like that? Little Tommy Jicka. I mean, I appreciate it. Tom wrote a couple of good pieces about me back in uh, whenever it was, the end of last year, when I was having my big uh, run in here with Jolly Joe Bell and the Beasleys and all this other crap that went down. And Joyce... Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, etc. Et oh, there's Bubba. A member of the King family, uh, Republican. Yeah. Governor you know something? He needs to go back home. He needs to go back to Chappaqua and get serviced or whatever. In fact, i got an article about that right now. Obama, Bill Clinton campaigning behavior troubling, says Barack Obama. His behavior is troubling, which I'll get to in a minute. Who's more electable? Barack Obama, 231. Hillary Clinton, 211. Almost even. 20 votes separate out of 684. Neither one, 180. No black guy, no woman. What about a black woman? And I don't care, 62. What about Donna Oh well, She's a little bit too dark, though, wouldn't you think? Who? Come on, Donna Brazil, She's on every talking head show from the Democratic Party. Man, uh, you know I, don't know, I don't know Donna matter. Brazil, the dark complected the broad. Uh, no, I don't watch talking head shows. She chuckles a lot. You don't watch what? Talking head shows. Why not? You don't watch CNN? Uh, no. Good. Don't. Don't do it. Look who they got on there now. And the fact is, uh, Huckleberry Hound. when politicians were brought uh, basically driving... Bigoted a bastard whole civil- piece of crap, man. Who the hell are you kidding? Bigoted bastardo. Anyway, Barack Obama hit back this morning against a barrage of attacks launched by former President Bill Clinton. A lot of us used to love Bill Clinton. Not no more. Bye-bye, Bubba. Your time is up, baby. The upstart presidential candidate, Illinois Senator, said Clinton's troubling statements on behalf of his wife's candidacy inaccurately characterized Obama's positions, and he said the former president's distortions are not in line with the obligation to honesty he has as a one-time occupant of the oral office. The former president who we'll have a lot of regard for, who we all have a, let me do it again. The former president who we all have a lot of regard for has taken his advocacy on behalf of his wife to a level that is pretty troubling, Obama charged this morning on ABC's Good Morning America. He continues to make statements that aren't supported by the facts. Hillary Clinton delivered Obama a tough blown about his caucuses on Saturday when she got about fifty one percent of the popular vote and was largely declared the winner, although Obama actually got more delegates to the Democratic National Convention because of the state's caucus rules, which nobody, even Einstein, couldn't figure them out. Prior to the vote, a teachers' union largely populated by Clinton supporters tried to block members of the state's Culinary Workers' Union, which backed Obama from voting in a large precincts in Vegas' massive casino resorts where many union members work. The campaign denied involvement in the lawsuit, but Bill Clinton accused the Culinary Union of trying to prevent its members from caucusing if they indicated they would support Hillary Clinton. Obama, says the former president, also distorted his record of opposition to the war in Iraq and his comments expressing some regard for former President Ronald Reagan. Bad move, Barack Ronald Reagan was a piece of turd. He just forgets all the crap he did. He forgot a Ryan Contra. He forgot everything. For its part, Hillary Clinton's campaign released a statement dismissing Obama's complaint, saying he's simply frustrated at losing New Hampshire and defending Bill Clinton's assertions as facts. She did. I do think there should be some standards of honesty in any political discourse. That's part of the change I want to bring about, Obama said. If you have something that's just directly contradicting the facts and it's coming from a former president, I think that's a problem because people presume that a former president is going to have more credibility, and I think there are certain responsibilities that are carried with that. Barack talked with Robin Roberts on Good Morning America. Well, goody-goody gumdrop. He's uh, getting pissed off and fired up. Uh Uh-oh, one moment, please. Everything okay? I know. I have to send a message here for one second. I It's a holiday. Not for all of us. What does that mean? Well, you and I are here. You, you're not doing much. I mean, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to do much, but you're not doing much. You're sitting there playing a few spots. You know what I mean? What do you mean? Just continue more of the same, okay? Everything's right, fine. Good. Cool. In fact, speaking of Bill Clinton, prominent Democrats are upset with the aggressive role that Bill Clinton is playing in the 2008 campaign, a role they believe is inappropriate for a former president and the titular head of the Democratic Party. Can I say that, titular head? Well, I guess we'll find out in uh, one minute. In recent weeks, Senator Edward Kennedy and Representative Rahm Emanuel, Emanuel... both currently neutral in the Democratic contest, have told their old friend heatedly on the phone that he needs to change his tone and stop attacking Senator Barack Obama, according to two sources familiar with the conversations, who asked for anonymity because of their sensitive nature. Clinton, Kennedy, and Emmanuel all declined to comment. They told him heatedly on the phone, screaming and shrieking, On balance, aides to both Bill and Hillary still see Bill as a huge net plus in fundraising, attracting large crowds and providing a megaphone to raise doubts about Obama, even if some of those doubts are distortions. But there's concern that in hatcheting the Illinois senator and losing his temper with the news media, last week he trashed a San Francisco TV reporter for asking about a lawsuit filed by Clinton backing teachers' union members to limit the number of Nevada caucuses. Clinton is drawing down his political capital and harming his role as a global statesman. This is excruciating, says a member of the Clinton circle who asked for anonymity, but the stakes couldn't be higher. It's worth it to tarnish himself a bit now to win the presidency for a swillery. During a December taping with PBS's Charlie Rose, a frustrated Clinton called Obama a roll of the dice as aides tried to end the interview. Then in New Hampshire, he argued angrily that the story of Obama's principal position on the Iraq war was a fairy tale, a charge few reporters bought. Representative James Clyburn of South Carolina, the top-ranking African-American Congress and officially neutral, found Clinton's tone insulting and said so publicly. Insulting. When the former president called Kennedy, the Massachusetts Democrat gave Clinton an earful, telling him that he bore some blame for the injection of race into the contest. In any event, both Hillary and Obama made peace on the race issue of the Vegas debate. The Clinton camp now fears that Kennedy is leaning toward Obama, according to the Clinton source, though Kennedy's office says he's making no endorsement at this time. Yet... Clinton aides admit the boss sometimes goes off script. Obama officials say this itself should be a campaign issue. Greg Craig, who coordinated Clinton's impeachment defense in '98 and is now a senior Obama advisor, argues that recent events raise the question if Hillary's campaign can't control Bill, whether Hillary's White House could. There's little precedent for a former president engaging in intra-party attacks. In 1960, Harry Truman criticized the idea. And now the next sentence that didn't print out. Oh, the idea of a Roman Catholic president, and uh, briefly, uh, tried to stop John Kennedy's nomination. The, the, don't you hate that when something doesn't print out? hmm But in 2000, former President George Bush declined to attack his son's GOP primary opponent, John McCain. Clinton is under my, undeterred by the criticism and will likely keep hammering Obama if he thinks it helps Hillary. History will judge the impact on the Clinton legacy, not daily or weekly political. Matt, reporters, said Matt McKenna, Bill Clinton's press secretary. Out of control, Bubba. Go back to a chappaqua. Get some action, baby, while she's out schlepping around. Get out of our face. And quit with all the Matt, Matt, nah, Matt. Nah. Always red in the face, too. Not good for your heart. You know what I'm saying? That's why it's fighting so hard uh, for her so she can win and uh, get out of his hair. He wants back in the White House, baby. He knows where all the uh, right all places the are. are. That's right, all the hot spots. 704 on the pool. I think you got a shot at, uh, I don't know, maybe 750 or so. You got a shot, baby. Biggest names. The You're doing it. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560
4: QAM. The Sports Leader. You know,
5: this, this is very personal for me. It's not just political. It's not just public. I see what's happening. We have to reverse it.
1: I have so many
5: opportunities from this country. I just don't want to see us fall backwards.
4: If you're the candidate, who lots of people think he's a witch. Michael right Brown bothers her.
1: Hillary wants to hit him with her fist. If you can, the White House instead of Air Force One. You may not know what to do. in charge is defending.
5: Stand up for me. And people think
1: she's too cold. To get
5: elected in the first place.
4: Mama's is expanding.
5: To feel pride.
4: Her face has lots
1: of wrinkles. She looks old, yells at me like she's my mother. The goodness
5: and greatness of Only America. Like her tears were all I just don't want to see us fall
4: backwards. Can scream at each other? <laughs>
1: Sounds like
4: when Hillary cries.
0: Yeah, the women are voting for her, older women, and that's because she's a woman. And uh, the dark folks are voting for Barack Obama, and that's because he's dark—not real, real dark, but uh, dark enough. And uh, what can I tell you? And the old people are voting her for her because she's old and old news. Seven ten, man. You know uh, what call it is? What uh, frequency that used to be? WGBS. Never heard of it. You never heard of WGBS? No. Never heard of Arnie Warren? Who? Ken Walden. Yes. Yeah. He'll tell you all about WGBS. It sucked. Arnie and Amos in the morning. Boy, Arnie Warren. Was he something or what? He was something. I can't say the word on the air. Pretty weak. At any rate, that 710 now is Radio Mambi because it reflects the changing demographics of South Florida, the changing ethnic uh, makeup of the listening audience. That's another reason it's a miracle we got that eight point. That was a miraculous, okay? Not just good, not just worthy of congratulations, worthy of a big kiss. And that's what I got all right from them, man. A kiss on the cheek, but not the one I was expecting. As the little dog would say, and I'm sure I can find it. It might, you know, it'll take a second. It might take a second, like I said. Oh, here it is. You can kiss my rear end. There it is. If futures contracts traded on a day when U.S. stocks weren't even due to open or anything near accurate, then markets will be in for a major decline tomorrow.
8: Oh, my God.
0: With concerns about bond insurers and the health of financial institutions dragging markets lower. March contracts on the Dow it traded 353 points lower to 11,753. The S&P, oh, where's that guy, man, like to strangle him with a, with a piano cord, piano wire. March contracts on the Dow traded to 353 lower, and the S&P 500 futures fell 55 points to 1270.10, and the NASDAQ 100 futures lost 72.25 to 1777. U.S. markets, of course, are closed today for the Martin Luther King holiday. Trading won't resume until tomorrow. Futures declines are on the back of big drops in European and Asian markets. From developing markets like Shanghai, down over 5%, to established ones in Paris, down nearly 6%. Financial institutions around the world sold off. Here comes the money, and uh uh-oh, there goes your money. You ever go to the dog track? Uh, no. Why not? Because it's a dog track. Why? What does that mean? I've just never been to the dog track. Why? Never interested. Scientists at Morgan Stanley told clients today to stay in cash. Cash, baby, good old dinero, pesos. Our themes continue to be patience, earnings, recession, U.S. recession, spreading global, bear market regime. Don't be lured into value stocks as most are likely to be value traps. Much more monetary easing. We expect flat but volatile markets just the 89 to 92 period. A real whipsaw environment for the market, they said. So unless you've got a real strong stomach and plenty of money to lose, when in doubt, stay the hell out. Much of the fear stems from worries about potential ratings cuts for bond insurers such as AMBAC Financial, ABK, and MBIA. AAA ratings are on thin ice. Fitch ratings on Friday downgraded AMBAC from AA to 2AA uh, from AAA after the bond insurer abandoned its plan to sell a billion dollars in equity. When a bond insurer is downgraded, all the securities it has guaranteed are, in theory, downgraded as well, putting some $1.4 trillion of municipal bond securities at risk. And more than $600 billion of structured finance securities at risk. The fears were lent some support when the head of France's central bank, Christian Neuer, said that, or is that Noyer, said that French banks, clearly like all banks in the world, are still in the process of m- marking down assets. Yeah, marking down your ass. Here comes the bunny, and there goes your money. You ought to go to the dog track sometime. Okay. Why not? Um, you know, just never Don't was an interest. Don't have any can you have no well, interest? Do. Why not? How do you know unless you go one time? You might enjoy it. I might. I'll you have ever, to did go. you ever see dog racing? On TV. And? That's
2: okay, you know. Taste the bunny around.
0: I bet the one over the four seven eight. Okay. I've seven, said highlight. Uh, <laughs> I had the super. I had the super. I keep thinking about Fat Rich. You never knew Fat Rich. Nope. Well, you missed out on her. quite a character. I'm sorry. There will never be a guy like him again, I guarantee you that. Which may not be a bad thing, but he, he's a good guy. I had this super! And he's talking to people who don't know him from, from Adam, who couldn't, not only don't they know him, they don't care. They have no interest, they don't care. But, you know. 722 on your pull as you're marching toward our goal of 800. Mike Avaz and Adam Doster write Oh, this is good. This is great. Speaking of losing your cash, one of the country's most popular pastors is preaching a gospel, controversial many in the religious community. He says, Jesus was not poor and wants Christians to be wealthy too. Call it the gospel of bling. The man's name, appropriate enough, is Creflo Dollar. And according to ABC's Nightline, he sits atop a religious empire. You know something? I I have nothing but sympathy for? for people not not sympathy but yeah uh, you know, I used to have contempt now I admire I have admiration that's what I'm looking for not sympathy admiration because there's so many stupid suckers waiting waiting to be they want to be fleeced of their cash okay they're just sitting out there please please feed me a bunch of crap so I can hand over all my money to you well more power to them it's business. Kreflo Dollar has a church with a congregation of nearly 40,000 members. Offices on Six Continents. He's published over 70 books. And his daily TV show reaches a billion households worldwide. A billion! And in many ways, the church has grown with the message that God doesn't want people to be poor. If Jesus had so much cash, how come he didn't have Birkenstocks? He had the damn worst sandals I've ever seen in my life. Well, you have to really talk to people to read the Bible. He says we've made financial prosperity like it's a wicked thing. We automatically assume that Jesus was poor. So you're saying Jesus was rich? Questions. reported Dan Harris. I say pick up the Bible and read it for yourself. He responds later in the piece. And as you begin to read it, you'll go through the entire Bible and find out that Abraham, the Bible says, was rich. Of course, because he was Jewish. What are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to say it's all bubble micies. That's what I'm trying to say. Abraham was rich. Isaac and Jacob were rich. Joseph was rich. Solomon was one of the richest people in the world. These were all servants of God. Well, then why in the world would God allow his son to come and at least be on the level of those servants? Why wouldn't he give him a few bucks? Dr. Joseph Huff, president of the Union Theological Seminary in New York, finds Dollar's message absurd. The claim that Creflo Dollar makes that Jesus was rich is so ludicrous as to hardly bear examination, he says. Like other religious leaders, Dollar practices what he preaches. The son of a policeman, other school cafeteria worker, he now owns an Atlanta estate, a $2.4 million apartment in New York, and a private plane. Like a carpenter has to have a hammer to do his job, he says, I've got to have a plane to fly around this world and be back here to pastor to the two churches. Like a carpenter has to have a hammer. (laughs) Not that hammer. Hey, Hammer! That was funny. But Dollar's accomplishments have also landed him in the sights of Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, who wants the pastor and several other prominent ministers to answer a series of questions to prove they're not using tax-free donations to their churches to fund their own extravagant lifestyles, as if there's any doubt. Jesus came into the city on a simple donkey, says Grassley. What are disciples of his doing flying in in jets? He ought to come in on a a jackass. Pastor Dollar denies any financial impropriety. What have I... What I have, he says, I get you my businesses and investments that I have separately, that I keep separate from the church. Dollar's followers are standing by the minister, at least for now. It doesn't matter to us, a church member said. Whatever they find, you know they find. We don't worry about that because I know what he's done for my life, and I know it's worked for me, she says. It's worked for me. What she's trying to say is... I have no life. Right. Sad, desperate, lonely old people with a lot of shekels, and they're handing them all over. Here you go. Here's all my money. That's the kind of business I want to get into. Just feed you a bunch of fairy tales and nonsense. Talk a lot of gibberish and trash. Oh, if you give me your money, I'm going to give you salvation. Like that. Sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many stupid, desperate people out there. that have to be. How else could you explain all these getskies, man? How could anybody buy into this baloney? Oh, the good book says. Well, who wrote the good book, okay? Who wrote that crap? Who wrote that uneducated swill thousands of years ago? That every time there was a damn thunderstorm, they thought that God was pissed off that the nuns were bowling upstairs. Maniacs. The best
4: talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. The <laughs> homo. No.
0: was an elderly retiree in Del on Delray Beach under the name of Saul Rabinowitz and bought a big condo. A multi million dollar condo, of course, because Jesus was rich. Right? How would we know it was him? Seven hundred thirty votes on the pool because he would put a big mezuzah out on the front of the door and he would. Oh, wait, okay. uh, yeah. Jesus is coming. How Who's more know? electable is our poll question today. We have 730 vote on there. It's a holiday, so we're not going to get anywhere near 1,000. Don't get all uh, porky with us about it, okay? Nothing we can do. Hey, we might. So, you know, not doing Might what? That.
2: Might get 1,000.
0: Are you doing drugs again? Did George leave you some there or what? Shh. 730 vote is all we got. Well, it's a, it's a holiday for crying an out And a lot of people, I'm sure, who get off from work today, they took off on maybe Friday afternoon. And they uh, hauled ass and went away for the weekend. And more power to them. Oh, there's uh, Hillary and Bubba. Black Americans. I used to like him a he lot. Used to. As as and Barack. there's Andrew Young, who's, uh, you know, Clinton, blacker than in the Clinton's box. pocket. Bill Clinton grew up in Arkansas as a teenager. Yeah. Oh, Andy Young, get out of here. 732, his face is falling apart. You know, that's the point at which I no longer want to see somebody on TV when their face starts falling apart. You know what I mean by that? Mm hmm. That's Andy Young. Did they say Bill's as black
2: as Barack? Is that what they
0: oh, said? yeah, that, that's the deal. He was the first black president, was Bill Clinton, you know, because... Because he uh, his... grew up in Arkansas? No, because he was such a good friend of the black community. That's so, therefore, he was, uh, you know, soul brother. It's just crap. It's nonsense. It's propaganda. 732 in a poll. Who's more electable? Barack Obama, 242. Hillary Clinton, 224. Only 18 separate the two, man. It's tight. Neither one, 200. And I don't care, 66. I don't care. You should care. I don't want to. I don't want to. You ought to. I don't want to. Oh, and by the way, a lot of uh, young people didn't bother voting in Nevada on Saturday again. What did I tell you about that? They don't vote, young people. They're all for Obama, but a lot of them don't vote. Women, on the other hand, what else are they going to do? Go shopping? Uh-huh. That's a sexist remark, but nevertheless, I, I stand by it. The old women, they go out there and they vote. Once they get done with the Mahjong game and they go through playing their nickel or penny slots... Is U.S. on the brink of war with Iran, asked Catherine Kavanaugh in the Daily Tribune in Royal Oak, Michigan. Detroit. Ever been in Detroit? Don't. Pass yes, through. Pass through. Just pass through real fast. Head to uh, Canada. Pass through fast and pass a lot of gas. Scott Ritter, one of the former U.N. inspectors who didn't find any weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, denounced the Bush administration for going to war with WMDs as the primary rationale in March of 2003. Now he fears the U.S. is on the brink of war with Iran. Ritter points to a military buildup in the region, the so-called threats to the U.S. Navy from Iranian speedboats last week, and the U.S. Senate resolution that labels elements of Iran as a terrorist organization. It's like filling up a house with gasoline and flicking matches at the door, Ritter said. Sooner or later it'll connect. Ritter spoke to the Daily Tribune via telephone Friday while on the road in Colorado. He and media critic Jeff Cohen were driving to meet with school and church groups in Boulder and Denver this weekend for U.S. tour of duty, a series of public forums aimed at starting a national dialogue about global engagement. The tour will bring Ritter and Cohen, a former Detroit resident who refers to the mainstream media as the weapons of mass distraction, to First United Methodist Church 2 to 4 p.m. on Saturday, January 26th, this next Saturday. The local... Tour stop is sponsored by the Huntington Woods Peace Citizenship Education Project. Spokeswoman Linda Ashley said the church can hold 700 people, and she urges area residents to attend. So if you're listening in Detroit, get over there. We think Iran and U.S. foreign policy is a real important topic, Ashley said. This is a unique forum that gives our community a chance to participate in a national discussion. Ritter said they'll present factual data that the country is heading toward another military conflict in the Middle East. <clears throat> I draw heavily on the words of the Bush administration, and people can draw their own conclusion, he said. To him, President Bush has been waging a war of wars with Iran for years. He points to the president saying all options are on the table regarding Iran and its alleged nuclear program in 2005 and then calling Iran a threat to world peace last week. The president isn't talking about sending or Rice to Iran as an option writer. said, we're not on the path of peaceful resolution through diplomacy. His conclusion, what's really going on is a roadmap for global domination. The war in Iraq initiated a long-term strategy neocons have been formulating to divide the world into spheres of influence and dominate them economically, militarily, and diplomatically. Wouldn't some savvy, headline-hungry reporter be following the story if that were the case? Cohen says not if they work for corporate media. A former on-air commentator and senior producer at MSNBC, Cohen was assigned to Phil Donahue's show before it was canceled in February 2003. He says he obtained a memo criticizing Donahue for seeming to delight in presenting guests who were anti-war, anti-Bush, and skeptical of the administration's motives. It's because we practiced journalism and had opposing views that we were terminated, Cohen said. After the show's cancellation, Cohen said MSNBC issued an order that every anti-war guest needed to be counted by two pro-war guests. That was their system to shift the debate for pro-invasion forces, according to Cohen, who has a book out called Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media. Where does he get his news? Cohen said his homepage opens to commondreams.org, which builds itself as a news center for the progressive community. The good news in the realm of media is that the amazing things are happening with independent journalists, Cohen said. They're filling a huge vacuum left by corporate media that practice jingoism when it comes to war and tabloidism in general. Cohen and Ritter scoffed at the USA Today headline in Friday's edition proclaiming 75% of Baghdad secure. The article says data given by the military to the newspaper provides a clear snapshot of how security has improved in Baghdad since 30,000 additional American troops arrived in Iraq last year. The average citizen will say things are working, but the small print shows it's a smoke and mirrors game, Cohen said. It's really quieter in Baghdad because of ethnic cleansing, concrete walls, checkpoints, and al-Sadr declared a ceasefire. We haven't defeated them or got them on our side. USA Today is a misrepresentation of reality, he said. But they got nice color pictures, though, I'll say that. Lots of nice uh, colors, like, you know, the funny pages. Remember Don Corleone's grandson, mm-hmm. Anthony? Yeah. Read the funny pages. The funny papers. Remember that scene? No. You're not a godfather uh,
2: student? I'm not a student, no. I'm a. Uh, I watched The Godfather, but I don't know it. You're not a student, The like Godfather,
0: and you're working on this show. I apologize. Oh my God!
2: You
4: conduct like a man. What's
7: the
1: matter? What are you gonna do? Nice college boy, huh? They want to get mixed up in the family business. Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain, one, because he slapped you in the face a little bit, huh? What do you think? This is the army where you shoot him a mile away. You got to get him close like this. Biddle-bing! you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come Sing. in. Mwah! you're taking a very person.
6: Well, let me tell you something, my crock, Mick Friend. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. She was beautiful. She was young. She was innocent. She was the greatest piece of ass I've ever had, and I've had him all over the
4: world. I'm going to make him an offer he you. not refuse. am smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart, and I want to spit.
3: He's still alive. They hit him with five shots, and he's still alive. It's bad luck
1: for me. And bad luck for you if you don't make that deal. You're taking this very person.
4: Tom, can you get me off the hook? For old time's sake. Can't do it, Sally. This committee party, Senator!
0: Now, what the hell is this? Why is there so much
1: traffic on this day of my daughter's wedding? That's a Sicilian sound effect. It means Luca Brazzi
0: bleeps with the frog of what, what the hell is that i guess that was someone trying to do a uh try to thing. be funny yeah try to do a bad don corleone and they did they did a bad don corleone pretty weak five shots baby right in the head two shots apiece for russell up so and mccloskey 748 on your pull, you're creeping toward that 800 mark once it's 800 man we go home they're the biggest names, the best talent. This
4: is Neil Rogers. Sports
3: Radio 560 QAM,
4: the sports leader.
3: As she sleeps with the fishes. Just when you thought, just maybe, Iran was not a threat.
1: Another Gulf of Tonkin event will induce you to support another act of madness.
3: Your Ministry of Propaganda presents Iranian threat. Bye.
1: Go behind the scenes on the deck of the USS Ed Hopper, where you can actually hear
3: messages from the voice of doom.
4: This is Coalition Warship. I am engaged in transit passage and accordance with international law. I am coming to you, Junior. <laughs> this is Coalition Warship. I am engaged in transit that's it. It international you will explode in a few minutes. <laughs> I no
1: harm. Okay, I'll stay here and monitor the scripted threats. You take the camera and get a shot of the bow, and you take this camera and get a shot of him filming you from the bow. Then we kind of pan around as a feed boat. Like and make it look good because once we get all the men back on board, we'll have to sink the boats. Hey, Skip, you think you can get the mess cooks to stop serving beans? A Iranian threat, now appearing everywhere online. Another
3: yellow cake presentation.
0: Well, speaking of those buoys out there in the sea, let me ask you, if Bubba owned them, would they be Bubba buoys? Uh-huh. 753 on your pool. I think you got a shot at that 800 today. I'm not too sure, though. I'll get it. We got the Curtis for our jerks today at 2 o'clock because it's a holiday, then Mad Dog, and then after that, well... And tonight's the Beast's last show, 9 to midnight. Now, is he aware of this? Yeah, he's aware of it.
2: I uh, did a show yesterday with him, and he knew about it, so... You did a show? I worked Sundays because oh, I, yeah, I don't you... get paid anything, so I have to work extra hours. Yeah. And so I worked with him from 9 to noon. Then what did he say? He was talking about, yeah, tomorrow's my last show, tune on in... Um, after that, who knows when I'll talk to you, uh, thank you. Yeah.
0: So, you know. And that was it? Yeah. And how, how were the callers? So, yeah, it was fun, you know.
2: What callers? It was a Saturday, I mean a Sunday. Nobody called on Sundays. There were no calls? Um, I'd say in three hours we probably had six calls. One or two of them was complaining about Beast,
0: so... Complaining about him being on or going off. Um, being on. (laughs) Like, because he?
2: You know, he's a big Patriots fan. So they're like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I want this. I want, you know, I'm rooting for the Giants. Blah blah. And caller's like, dude. Just fess up. You think the Giants gonna be easier for your team to beat than the... he's like, no, well, no, of no, no, no. Well, of course. Exactly. Well, so what's so. wrong with that? Exactly.
0: What's wrong with that?
2: And I, and I was telling him the same thing. I go, look, you want them to win, just because... he's like, no, no, that's not what it is, and blah blah. blah.
0: And I'm like, whatever, dude. That's okay, like, whatever. well, I'm glad I missed it. Yeah. yeah. On January 4th, 2008, Fox pundit Bill O'Reilly denied the existence of any homeless veterans in the U.S. In an effort to prove O'Reilly wrong, Brave New Films visited homeless vets a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping homeless and at-risk veterans so they could speak with some homeless veterans themselves. I talked to over a dozen homeless vets, some of who had served as far back as the Korean War, writes the video's co-producer, Jonathan Kim, on foxattacks.com. These veterans are homeless, they do exist, and no matter what O'Reilly says, there are way too many of them. Brave New Film showed the men are homeless vets, a clip of O'Reilly mocking presidential candidate John Edwards for discussing the topic of homeless veterans in a speech. This guy has no clue, O'Reilly said in response to Edwards. I mean, come on, the only thing sleeping under a bridge is that guy's brain. Ten million illegal alien workers are sending billions of dollars back home, and Edwards is running around saying nobody's got any money. In an interview with radio host Ed Schultz on January 16, O'Reilly once again denied the existence of homeless veterans, this time with a slight caveat. They may be out there, but there aren't many of them out there, okay, he said. Rave New Films video depicts the residents of homeless vets, which currently houses about 500 homeless veterans, responding to the clip of O'Reilly's denial. There's a lot of homeless veterans out there, and anyone who would even imply that there are no homeless veterans is out of touch with reality, said Levi Cunningham, a current tenant at Homeless Vets. I'd like to invite him to sleep out there, too, said Fletcher Hicklin, another homeless veteran, and then we'll see who's talking crazy. Paul Reichoff of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans and MSNBC's Keith Olbermann have also teamed up to disprove O'Reilly's false claims. I don't know what his agenda is here, but we hope that he uses it in an opportunity to focus on a very critical issue, Rykoff said in an interview with Olbermann. We need everybody's help. We need folks to support our veterans. This isn't a partisan issue. It's not about John Edwards. It's about taking care of the people when they come home. Crazy Bill O'Reilly. And the only people, the only people crazier than him are the people that watch him and listen to his crap. Luckily, in this market, he still has a oh, point oh. on the radio. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even make the needle move on a ricketer. He's like Defoe. How do you like that?
2: Not too bad. Um. So this morning, my uh, radio was on 610 because I was listening while well, I was driving home yesterday. I was listening to the game. And you were listening to FTSE? No, Dave Lamont was on. Yeah, was, was he that like you no know, 745? He was doing political talk.
0: Dave Lamont? Yeah, Dave Lamont
2: on 610.
0: Sports nerd, Dave Lamont was doing political talk. He was talking talk? about the Nevada,
2: Nevada caucus. I don't. I don't. I heard him saying the Nevada caucuses, and the turnout was kind. I was like, all right, I don't need to hear this, and turned it. But I was just very surprised
0: that he was talking political. Dave Lamont see. was doing political talk? <laughs> Boy. Let's see. Let me see how they did in the morning. QAM, we had a 4-8. That's Joe Rose, who, whose numbers can only go up now that he's working alone, like he should have been in the first place. Now he's got Feely with him. Oh, that's right. He's got Jay Touchy Feely, who's very uptight about uh, Joe's enchantment and obsession with the Tom Brady being so hot. The reason uh, that uh, Joe Rose says it is because he's got two eyes and they're both working. That's why, touchy-feely. And believe me, you ain't nothing to look at, Jay. WYOD, look at that. They dropped from uh, 3.8 from 7th in the summer to a tie for 13th, 2.7 in the fall. Talk about a fall. That's Dave Lamont. And then, of course, maybe it's the show that followed him that chased people away from the station. Footsie Tootsie. Who came in sucking wind way way down? I wouldn't even look at, look it up again. Way down the list, and he opens up a big mouth like he's like he's bringing something to the table. What are you bringing to the table, Footsie? Let's see what he's guys. He still doing uh, which is the best pizza thing yet? Uh, I thought he got rid of all that. Maybe oh no! His, uh, polls? No, he still has the polls. He got rid of uh, the fifty fifty deal because he couldn't peddle anything because he got no audience. Let's see Footystreet.com. Let's see if he's still doing. And and the way he does it which is totally lazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. What he does is he does like, uh, he, he he keeps the same thing on there, the same question every day, and then he'll put a different challenger on there, depending on the result. You know what I mean? Oh. Where can you find the best pizza in South Florida? Munchies in North Miami, the current champion, or the Big Cheese in South Miami, the new challenger? And every day, well, I'll vote for the Big Cheese just for the hell of it. And Munchies has got 75 percent. The Big Cheese 25 percent. Big Cheese is a good place. Well, I'm, I'm just telling you. So, so tomorrow he'll have Munchies against somebody else. I mean, that's like doing the same poll every day and just changing the choices on there. I mean, talk about a cop out, Footy. Oh my God! And that picture of you and Danny Boy, and Sandy Peyton Manning. Oh God! Just, I don't know. I think I'm going to go out on the balcony right now and jump. Sun is shining. I don't, I don't want to jump off the balcony on a really cold day, so I won't do it today. Yesterday and today, like the end of the world. I mean, really cold. Really, 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 really cold. So walk from to the car from the parking lot to Woodbine. I could have valet parked, but, you know, that's money you can gamble. Oh, it's minus 8. It's getting toasty. It's sunny and minus 8. Going to go all the way up to minus 6 today. Woo! And then tomorrow, a plus 1, 34. <clears throat> and you bellyache about cold weather up north. What's wrong with you? Who does do you people, not you. Not oh, okay. you doing, I love you know. cold weather. Do you? You, you, yeah. you like this weekend, man. Too cold even for you. Probably. So cold that the wind chill was minus 23 Celsius. Which I, don't, I don't know what that translates to, but it translates into, like, freezing your skin when you go outside. Translates into, thank God, it's Sunday with a lot of football on TV, and you don't have to go outside. And you can also watch the Leafs lose to New Jersey, 3-2. John Turman writes, the murky toll of the Iraq War. I don't think I have time for this before the break. So I'll do this one instead. Well, I, I don't want to, like, uh, get way behind here, you know? Then we'll have to spill over into Curtis's show. And Curtis don't want that. That would be a minus
2: 9 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: Nine below zero. That is nuts. Now, which temperature are you talking about? Minus, uh, minus 23 Celsius. Yeah, nine below zero. And, and the wind just whipping. Oh, bleh. But there's no snow. There's not one flake. Well, there's a few flakes out there. One thing about living in a big city, a lot of crazy people. You know well, what I mean? Well, when, when it gets that cold, isn't it like it, it, it's like almost unable to snow because it's too cold? Of course not. They, north of here, they had like a blizzard. They had a massive pileup uh, north of the city with like about 100 cars. It, it looked like uh, uh, one of those uh, wrecking balls hit them all. That's not good. looked like a junkyard. Hey, there's someone on uh, line 12. Go ahead, answer it. Will do. Could be something really important, although I doubt it. I may have to reach over and, uh, and uh, turn the thing on. I doubt it, though. Maybe it's Norma can't. <coughs> Waiting for the bulletin here. It must be something really important. Is it it's important? Uh, Jeff Cohen. Jeff Cohen, not the right Jeff Cohen, though, not the political Jeff Cohen.
8: No, the one with the best pizza in town.
0: Well, how come FTSE don't have you on the thing there? I
8: don't know. Does anybody else say that they guarantee they have the best pizza in town or they give their money back?
0: No. Uh, what, what is this, a free plug for Jeff Cohen again in the pizza loft? La hut, la hut? Well, but
8: I just wanted to make sure that you're <laughs> able to sell my 50-50 stuff next week, you know? I to make oh, sure you're it all next sells. Week?
0: Well, it's about time. I guess you kissed and made up.
8: Yes, sir. Well, we, we always kissed him made up. It was other deals, but uh, mm-hmm. everything's
0: cold. It was the QM sales department that pissed him off, but he doesn't want to say it. I'd say nothing. Only good things. Positive mm-hmm.
8: things happen to positive people. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how are you
8: doing, Neil? Oh, I'm still uh, here. Cold?
0: It's uh, mucho cold, yeah. Mucho frio, yeah. I,
8: I try not to go north to West Palm in the winter, man.
0: And I'm not complaining. There's no snow on the ground. I'm doing just fine. I wouldn't uh, come back there for all the tea in China.
8: Okay, well, it's good to hear your voice. I just heard Best Pizza, and I knew somebody was talking about pizza Loft.
0: No, you heard about that guy, Jeff Cohen, that political guy, and that story I was reading. That must have been what done it.
8: Right? okay, there you go. That phases out. I hear pizza, and my ears perk up.
0: Okay, well, uh, Footsie, has he put you on there or not, on his program? I don't, really,
8: I don't know him. I've never met him, you know, so I don't really...
0: You uh, want to like it sounded like most
8: of the places was Bade County that he's always talking about.
0: Yeah. So... Well, let him stay there, okay? You got it.
8: Okay, take okay, care. Okay, Neil, nice talking to you. Happy circus.
0: Have, have a good week. Stay warm. Happy Shavua. See ya. See Okay, there's Jeff Cohen getting another one of his uh, frequent free plugs. That was nice. Good. Uh-huh. 771. Yeah, how come you don't put pizza loft on there, uh, Mr. Hotshot, footsie-tootsie? You put all the Dade County joints on there. What's the matter? IOD signal over each Broward anymore? We used to have big, big gigantic numbers midday in Broward when I was on there, footsie not like two shares like you got in, man. My God. What, what, what was his number? Do I know? Jeff Cohen's? No, oh, not Jeff Cohen's uh. number. Jeff Cohen don't have a show, although he'd sure like to. What happened to the thing with the fingers on it? I don't know. You tell me. That had the hourlies on it, you know? Well, I don't know. I've got so many pages here from last Thursday when it, those numbers came out. All right. Forget about that. I think he had like twos and threes, footsie. I don't know. That Midday. much? That Midday, we had an eight. IOD isn't on the first page. And they had a three-seven, most of which was Rush. So, like I said, he had twos. Twos and low threes. Nice going, footsie. You old turd, man. You old wrinkle-up turd. With that red nose. Like Rudolph, you know?
1: How Ily I'm a And I like scrubbing my smelly gorilla ass with soap made from juice. And listening to the new Roche of Hour. Hey, guys,
3: Breaking sporthole
1: news. We interrupt this program, you want to hear, for something that only a few sick of sport holes sportholes, and management
3: are interested in.
1: Health and coach Cam 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 Cameron, John John Cam Cameron, Swayze, is holding a press conference now in progress.
3: We'll just have to work harder and give it 100%. I'll take questions. I
4: got a question. You know you stink. Why do you always answer the same way? How? <laughs> oh. What did you do that for?
3: I didn't like that question. Oh. I'll rephrase it.
4: Hey, what are you doing
3: here? I'm with Kent State Security now, you moron. Ow! Now go ahead and ask me a question. Okay.
4: Why are all sport holes stomach and dog do? Ow! That hurts, Mo. I didn't
3: like that question either. Ow! What's <laughs> that book you're holding? Ow! Let me see that. Sport hole guide to fantasy dating. <laughs> I'll take this. <laughs> That's mine! Ow! Not anymore, it ain't. Ow! Now scram!
6: Ow!
4: <laughs> Ow! No! no! Don't
3: tase me, Moe! Yeah, maybe you're right. Put it there, chum. No! <laughs> <laughs> I
4: got
3: your taser now. now see it. How do you like it? <laughs> Give that taser back. No! 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 No!
4: No! No! No!
0: My heart. My heart. 12-02 <laughs> at 560 WQ. i you going to be watching that big South Carolina debate tonight for the Democrats? No. Swillery and Barack Obama and John Edwards. Now, why is John Edwards going to be there? Just because he was born in South Carolina? Absolutely. Oh. Well, I need to fill in a spot, so. I mean, why does he keep wasting everybody's time, okay? He talks a good game, and he's plastic as hell, and he's got the nice hair and all the other stuff, and his wife still has cancer and all these things, but uh, he ain't got no shot. He's got no chance. But he's stubborn, you know. Chris Dodd, he saw he had no chance, he dropped out. Bill Richardson, no chance. Even being Hispanic, no chance, he dropped out. Mike Gravel, I don't, I'm not really sure what happened to him with that Gravelly voice. Wait till you hear this, not that it's going to surprise anybody, that anybody cares, because what does it have to do with football, baby? Like Clarence, who spent half of this memo about, oh, the weekends and the Dolphins and blah, 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 and don't sell the Dolphins short, don't underestimate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't underestimate the value of the Miami Dolphins. What is the value? How many cents? About 30, Not even 50 cents, 30 cents. That's the value of the Dolphins. They suck. Welcome to town, whatever your name is. There, Tony Soprano. Does he have another press conference today to announce that he's uh, changed his mind? No, I know. Remember when Danny Boy was going to accept
2: that job with Wayne and he was going to be the... Um... No, he accepted it, and then two weeks later he said, you know what, never mind.
0: Yeah. He, he was going to be the chief cook and bottle washer, and he was going to be the chief excuse maker for the ineptitude of the organization. And then he said, ah, I don't think so. I'll go back to uh, CBS. I'll go there and sit with JB and Shannon. Shannon! Shannon! Hey, Shannon! That JB, somebody needs to take a crowbar and just smash him in the head. Were you watching uh, yeah.
2: uh, were you watching it this weekend when uh, Marino's uh, phone went off while he was talking? No. Oh, yeah, his phone
0: went off? No, but I was watching it when JB lost track of what they were supposed to be talking about, and he asked uh, Danny Boy about the Patriots-Chargers uh, uh, game, and uh, Danny had to straighten him out that this segment they were going to talk about the Packer-Giant game. Oh, uh, okay. Because well, JB hey, lost, he lost track, so Danny's phone went off? Yeah, his uh, cell phone went off. Which, I bet you it know. was Joe
2: Rose. Well, no, the first time it wasn't Joe Rose, but Joe was watching it, So he decided, you know what, I just saw how, like, embarrassed Danny got, so I'm going to call him just to keep it going. So he called him another one or two more times,
0: yeah, while he was on the air. One or two more times? Yeah, like back-to-back. Joe Rose is cranking Danny boy on national TV? Well, that's his boy, yeah, of course. His boy? I told you, they still shower together. I'm telling you, you think I'm joking, huh? I've never said that. You never said what? That I thought you were joking. Oh. I'm not. You can kiss my rear end. Among the 16 days for which emails are missing from Vice President Dick Cheney's office is September 30, 30, 2003, the same day the Justice Department and the Federal Bureau of Investigation announced that they were investigating who outed former CIA officer Valerie Plain Wilson. That morning, then White House Counsel Alberto V.O.5 Gonzalez ordered the President and the Vice President's staff to preserve all materials that might be relevant to an Inchote Justice Department probe. There's another word that I... I I'm probably pronounced it wrong again. I've looked it up before. Do you know what that word means? Uh, no. I Inchoate? No. I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E. I'll do it during the break. See, I, I don't know why they, This is on uh, Raw Story, Nick Giuliano. Hey, Nick, use words that we understand, okay? I'm a moron. I'm a dummy.
2: I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E? I dropped... I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E? Right. Let's see.
0: How do you pronounce it? Inchoate? inquit Being only partly in existence Maybe or operation. Being what?
2: Being only partly in existence or operation.
0: Okay. In other words, a, a formulating. Uh, and, and how do you pronounce it? We'll find out right now. If, I, if my computer
2: took me to the board, I'd play it over the air, but, you know. Oh, yeah.
4: inquit
0: Inchoate. Shout. inquit well, they better not use that word again, because you know, you're telling me, I've looked it up before, but it's one of those words I don't like. We were informed last evening by the Department of Justice it's open an investigation into possible unauthorized disclosures concerning the identity of undercover CIA employee, Gonzalez wrote in a terse September 30, 2003 email. The Department advised us it will be sending a letter today instructing us to preserve all materials that might be relevant to its investigation. Its letter will provide more specific instructions on the materials in which it is interested, and we will communicate those instructions directly to you. So, uh, Dave Lamont was talking about uh, politics, politics. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. In the meantime, you must preserve all materials that might in any way be related to the Department of Investigation. Was he, like, doing news, uh, stu- reading news, or was he, like... Uh... I did literally.
2: I got in my truck, turned it truck. on, and it was, yeah, I have a truck. Um turned it on, and that was on because I was listening to the football games driving home yesterday. Yeah. And he was talking about the um, Nevada caucus and like that. and I was like, and I made sure that it was Dave Lamont that was on. I said, wow, and then I changed the channel.
0: Well, I, mean, he, I don't understand. He was giving opinions, or he was reading results, or what was he doing? He was just saying, you know, he was like talking about the result
2: of it. I don't think he was like reading down what the results were. He was kind of giving his his thoughts about the result. But I, didn't, I literally stuck around for five seconds to hear that it was him. And that's which channels?
8: Oh, my gosh.
0: The analysis was released over the weekend by Citizens for Ethics and Responsibility in Washington, D.C.-based ethics. Washington. The White House said in a court filing last week that backup tapes, which contained archived copies of the emails, were recycled as part of a policy the White House had in place until October 2003. Special prosecutor in Chicago U.S. Attorney Patrick Fitzgerald convicted Vice President Cheney's former chief of staff Scooter Libby of obstructing justice and lying to investigators last year. Fitzgerald noted in the January 2006 letter that some of the White House's emails had not been archived. Ironically, Cheney's office is missing emails from the same day, the very day that President Bush told reporters he would take care of whatever staff members had actually leaked the CIA agent's name. If there's a leak out of my administration, I want to know who it is, Bush said September 30, 2003. And if the person has violated the law, the person will be taken care of. They'll be taken care of. Yeah. The day before, then White House Press Secretary Scott McClellan had said there was nothing, absolutely nothing, to suggest any White House involvement. Well, nobody cares. That's the problem. All they care about is who's white and who's black, who's female, who's not, who's got a weenus, and who doesn't. I don't think they realize Hillary's got a weenus. Seven... 87 on your pool. I think this segment would go over 800. Oh right. wow! What? Go over 800. Big deal. It's a holiday. We're not even supposed to be here. Well, and what, is, what is this deal about we get to choose either Martin Luther King Day or President's Day? Ask the government.
2: What do you mean by that? As far as I know, like every business, that's how it is.
0: President's Day is like next month, isn't it? It's in February, yeah. And what's the date? I'm taking it off oh, by the way, Clarence President's Day, whatever day it is. The Sunday Times has obtained a document that confirms that a file, which the FBI did not existed, could contain information about American officials stealing nuclear secrets for Turkish and Israeli spies who would then sell the secrets to Pakistan and Saudi Arabia.:
8: Oh my God.
0: Earlier, FBI whistleblower Cybel Edmonds, 37, approached the Times about explosive communications she discovered between high-up American officials and Turkish and Israeli spies. A freedom of information request to the FBI was answered with a claim that the case number didn't exist. I can tell you that the file and the operations it refers to did exist from 1996 to February of 2002, says Edmonds. I wonder if she's kin to harness driver Randy Edmonds. Probably not. One high-ranking official identified by Raw Stories, Larissa Alexandrova, as Mark Grossman, ambassador to Turkey from 94 to 97. Grossman is said to have warned his cohorts not to do business with Brewster Jennings, a front company set up by the CIA. Brewster Jennings was also, also the employer of CIA operative Valerie Plame, whose cover with Grossman's help was blown in what is widely believed a political hit job by the Bush administration on her husband, Joe Wilson. How do you like that? A file which the FBI denied even existed. Well, not that your government would lie to you. I want you to understand that. Like that jerk that called, how come you're so cynical now? <laughs> I'm cynical, right. Monday, February 18th. Is President's Day? See, si. I have one thing to say about that. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Maybe by that time, Paco Taco will have all his permanent resident card and we'll get on a slow boat to China. That's a good uh, joke. He's never been anywhere. He's been to Toronto and Mexico, and that's it. Not very exciting, you know. I mean, not, nothing wrong with Toronto. And maybe there's nothing wrong with Mexico, but I'm not going to find out. You have any desire to go to Mexico? I've been there. It was, uh, okay. I, you, you've been there? Yeah, on cruises. Cause, oh, on cruises. You go on cruises? Oh, my, my God. My dad works <laughs> in the uh, <laughs> cruise business. <laughs> what? My dad works in the cruise business. Never had a bad cruise. Y- your dad works in the cruise business? Yep. Is he responsible for all those dead bodies that they find no, every now and then? No, no, no. Oh. You just, uh,. Books look what at what, what we've got on the poll 790. I think that Joel Feinberg is responsible for that. And when is the article about the fall rating book coming out, Barry Jackass? When are you going to get off your low horse and figure out a way to, to put it in there without making it look uh, like the guys across the street sucked wind, okay? Bit the big one. That's exactly what they did. They bit the big one across the street, your buddy Joel Feinberg, and stick it to the ticket, which is exactly what we did. When are you writing the article, Barry? I'm sure he's getting on it right now. I'm sure Barry uh, doesn't need to buy baloney to put in his sandwich. That's his speciality. 790. Who's most electable? Barack Obama, 264. Swillery, 241. Only 23 votes separate them. Neither one, 217. And I don't care, 68. I should, but I don't want I don't care. the biggest name. best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio
4: 560 QAM.
0: The sports
4: leader. Perfect.
8: But if you walk in the control room and see Neil Rogers, it, it appears as though he should have wheels on both sides of his chair, okay? I mean, he's sitting there, like, crouched down. He, he's so forceful on the radio, and he's such a little, like, if, if he doesn't have a bodyguard when he leaves the radio station, good luck to him. Wake up in the morning and your breath smells bad.
7: Your hair's a wreck and your eyes are all cloudy. in the cat took a squat in the sink. Get in your car and the streets are crowded The traffic's a hassle and the bridge is up Get a flat tire and you run out of gas Oh, it's just another day Uh It's just another day It's just another day (laughs) I wish would end you walk into work and your boss is a grouch The workers are losers, the copier refuses to work And you don't get your raise You get off of work and the streets are still crowded The traffic's a hassle and the bridge is still up And you get into a wreck with the church bus And the nuns are bleeding from their ears Oh, it's just another day It's just another day, it's just another day, I wish
1: would end. Absolutely. You
7: get home from work and the house is a disaster. The kids are all screaming and the garbage needs to be taken out. You smell men's cologne and it's definitely not yours. So you start drinking early to forget all your problems And soon you're plastered throwing up in the bowl While the men's room is doing 360s around you And you're drooling and big chunk lands in your hair Oh, it's just another day It's just another day It's just another day I wish would end So you're lost in confusion, you stumble about, wondering why you were born in such a stinking hellhole that you call life. So you look for your gun, and you hope it's still loaded, and you aim it at your head, and you slowly pull the trigger and...
0: All right. 12.20 12.20 at 5.60 WQM. That would be a good idea for Barry uh, Jack- Jackass. Hey, Barry, get with it already, will you, please? It's going to start getting pretty embarrassing as the days go by, and you haven't written a word since you're supposed to be the big, the big mouthpiece for the two sports radio stations. That's your whole life revolves around that, especially the one across the street and Joel Feinberg. Maybe Joel didn't give him the numbers. Maybe Joel was busy uh, beating up his girlfriend or beating up Barry's mom, one or the other. Who's more electable? we got 806 on the pool. And Barack is 20 ahead of Swillery. 268, 248. Neither one 221. And I don't care. 69. An appropriate number. I don't care. I always put a choice like that on there because we have a certain element of people out there no matter what it is. Are you going to get up tomorrow morning and be alive? I don't care. Like that. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. They refuse to care. Cubans, uh, that is Cubans in Cuba as opposed to South Florida. Cubans ratified a slate of parliamentary candidates yesterday including Fidel Castro. The ailing 81-year-old leader hasn't been seen in public for nearly 18 months. Only one choice appeared for each post in districts across the country, and there was no campaigning. The Communist Party is the only one allowed, but the government says membership is not a prerequisite for the parliament that rubber-stamps official party policy. Still, Cubans lined before dawn to cast their ballots. Some 8.4 million voters were being asked to back 614 top communists, career politicians, musicians, and athletes for posts in the legislature known as the National Assembly. Preliminary results expected to be announced this afternoon. Castro, Cuba's unchallenged maximum leader since 1959, provisionally ceded power in July 2006, following emergency intestinal surgery, and is still recovering.
4: Castro's
0: dead. Oh, no, he's not. But he's remained head of the Council of State, the island's governing body, and re-election to Parliament from Santiago in eastern Cuba makes him eligible to be named to the post again. Candidates lose if they don't get more than 50% of the vote. Although National Assembly officials don't remember that happening since Cubans began voting for Parliament in 1993, there's only one name for each post on the ballot. How do you get less than 50% if they vote uh, someone else? I see. Right in. Castro's younger. Oh, if they vote for somebody else, <laughs> Castro's younger brother Raul, who's been governing uh, during Fidel's illness, announced that the new Parliament will meet February 24th to declare a new Council of State. The elder Castro has run unopposed in uh, for, as council head in past parliament votes, but Raul didn't say whether he would be a named council leader or retire. Retire, Fidel, retire. We have to face different situations and great decisions, he said. In other words, bada-beep, bada-boop. Among those seeking the election was National Assembly President Ricardo Alarcón, who has said for months he'll vote to keep Fidel Castro as head of the council of state. You have no doubt that he's ready, Al Cohen told reporters. He's in a position to continue that job, and the vast majority of people will be more than happy about that, myself included, he said. Comunista, communista, communista, comunista As they said, say? Radio Mambi, comunista The U.S. government and opposition leaders dismiss the election as a sham and say reported turnouts lead to a false sense of unanimity. Now, what's that word again? In- intuit? Intuit. So, no, it's not inchoate. That's the way I said it. It's not right. Include. Oh, i gotta go. I got to go back to it. No, no, see, you can't remember how to say it because it's not a word that anybody ever sees or says. Nobody ever says that word. What was that this one? Is... Uh, uncle, that uncle word? Uncle?
2: Yeah, the one from the other day that we found.
0: What are you talking about?
2: That we were saying, uh, <clears throat> that's in the uh, song about Joe Bell. Uncle Mike. Oh, about, uh, uh, not uncle. It's Uncle Lake or something like that.
0: No, yeah, like uh, I'll, I'll think of it. Well, now I'm gonna have to play the damn thing. It's way it's way toward the uh, last, the ass end of the event. Right I'll figure it
1: out. The go to hang from trees and play banjo? Avuncular. Cool avuncular. Ball. That's it. Thank you. I don't want to hear that.
0: Oh, I mean, I'm not you know, kill some time. Avuncular. Who told you that? Nobody. You, you just came back to your mind? Like, no, uh, like,
2: my girl had sent me a text message saying so that would be the avuncular Neil Rogers. So I was going back to the message.
0: The State Department said Friday the elections are not a break with past practice in Cuba and don't represent a real opportunity for the Islanders to decide for themselves how and by whom they'll be governed. The Islanders, they're skating on thin ice, baby. And how about those Leafs, huh? They get a false sense of security. They win three in a row and then right there in New Jersey yesterday. What are they doing playing on a Saturday night and a Sunday afternoon? Why not? The Cuban government counters that its balloting is more democratic than most because those running are chosen by municipal leaders nominated during neighborhood gatherings. Looking at the U.S., it seems more like a popularity contest in elections, said Vice President Carlos Lage. These are elections without politics, without fraud, without money, or propaganda campaigns, and elections that are based on merit and without opposition, too, I should add. At 56, Lage is one of the country's youngest top leaders, often mentioned as a third successor to Cuba's presidency after Fidel and Raul Castro. What about Hyman Roth? What is he, chopped liver? What about Johnny Ola? Fidel Castro said in a note right on state TV that he voted after electoral officials brought a special ballot to the undisclosed location where he's recuperating. Somebody knows, but it's a secret. Okay, just like when Hyman Re- Roth was recuperating in the hospital. Yeah. Remember that? When the mm-hmm. bodyguard, when the bodyguard came to take care of him with the pillow, and all of a sudden, but a big. I guess the pillow, the pillow didn't stop the bullet. No. I could be wrong about that. It's just a guess. Anyway, so that's the deal. Castro, they're all voting in the communists again in Cuba. So you ought to kiss the ground that we have these wonderful elections in America. And although the one thing he did say is true, it's a popularity contest. Got some very, very pressing, unbelievable issues. And does most people care? No. No. Who looks the best? Which one is a woman? Which one is white? Which one is dark? Which one is too dark? Which one is, uh, you know. That poll we took last Friday for the weekend, I think that hit it right on the head. Eight and a half percent of this astute audience said they wouldn't vote for Obama because he's too dark. I don't want him, you can have him. He's too dark for me. That's what they said. Thank you.
4: The best talent. Sports radio five sixty QAM.
3: The sports leader. 610-W-I-O-D, South Florida's Information and Sports Authority.
5: And welcome back, everybody. I'm Sandy Payton, and we are delighted to have in the studio this morning the number one radio broadcaster in the country.
3: Good morning, Americans. It's Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. 35-year-old J. Charles Miller has been struggling for years with a minimum wage job. The toothless factory worker from Muskegee will suffer no more. The one-eyed man won the Powerball lottery to the tune of $200 million. I'll say it again. $200 million. His wife, Velma, wanted to do something nice to show her love. She went to the store and purchased a pair of Crotchless panties. When she heard her husband come through the door, she yelled, Come in here, Jay, and get yourself some of this. When Jay Charles opened the door and saw his wife spread eagle on the bed, he shouted in horror. I don't want any of that, he said. Look what it did to your underwear. Paul Harvey.
0: Good day. Good day. 1232 at 560 WQM. We got uh, Curtis for um, Jax. No, we have a uh, late change. A late change in the lineup? Oh,
2: oh, no. Oh,
8: my God. And what is
2: that? It'll be your boy, Kimba.
0: My boy? Uh huh. Kimba Let's see. And what happened to Curtis? Is he also taking the day off? All of a sudden, is he like uh, looking for racial harmony on Martin Luther King Day? He wants a day off? I do not know. I just went out there
2: to see if Curtis was around yet, and uh, Josh was like, oh, we have a late change. Why didn't he come in
0: there and tell us about it? Well, he was busy um, doing something else, I guess. Since I'm here to try to warn the audience, I mean uh, notify the audience about these things and promote the lineup the rest of the day, which I do uh, in spite of these unpleasant circumstances in which we're working. By the way, I saw Chris uh, Myers was on one of the games yesterday on the sideline. I think it was the Green Bay game. Poor guy. Do you know Chris Myers? Yeah, from uh, whatever, yeah. He's been on uh, Fox and stuff like that, yeah. When I went to work in this market on WKAT in 1976, Chris Myers was like a punk who was Sonny Hirsch's understudy in the sports department. And look at him now. And Sonny being one of the laziest people I've ever worked with. Well, rest in peace. I mean, he's dead. But, you know, a good guy, he's just lazy. And so a lot of days when he didn't feel like doing the show, he'd just call Chris and uh, Chris Myers would do the show. How do you like that? Not too shabby. Now, you want me to give you a one-word description of uh, Chris Myers? Sure. And in those days, I mean, it's a long time ago. Putts. Putz. Oh, well. And I'll tell you who else. Now, do you know Craig Sager? Yes. When I was uh, the 1973 WSPB in Sarasota, he was the sports nerd guy at WSPB. And on Thanksgiving of 74, I believe it was, when I quit my job because... Uh, they just It was a technical disaster. The station was a joke. I was the PD. And we were—you know, the, the turntables were like too slow. We had an engineer who was like a, a retard. And he had one of these, I don't know, do you remember anything about turntables? Yeah. yeah. And they used to have these discs that they would put on there to, to see if the turntable was playing at the right speed, you know? Mm-hmm. And at any rate, and he insisted, even though you could hear, I mean, you didn't have to have some kind of a gizmo to tell that it was playing too slow. Like yeah, when you, you put it on three, it was three. too slow. Right. Karen Carpenter was singing, Rainy Days and Monday. It's too slow, man. No, it's not. I just put my gizmo on there, and it uh, looks just fine to me. Rainy Days and Monday, and so I quit. Anyway, I was invited to a Thanksgiving dinner that day at Craig Sager's house in Sarasota with his whole family. Wasn't that nice? Not too bad. And now Chris Myers is there, nationwide, worldwide, during the uh, conference championship games on uh, whatever the hell they were on the networks. And Craig Sager is some big shot at one of the uh, sports networks that you see him once in a while on national TV. And I'm working for Joe Bell. Look at that! All these famous people you had under you. Yeah, so to speak. Oh no, don't say right, There you go again with that. Ah. Oh! <laughs> Both ugly guys, but that's okay. A Dallas minister who marched with slain civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. said today's birthday observance holiday is an insult to his legacy. The Reverend Peter Johnson, 62, isn't that redundant? Uh Uh-huh. The Reverend Peter Johnson, director of the Texas Operations for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, told the Dallas Morning News the holiday should be April 4, the anniversary of the date that the Baptist minister was assassinated. We've ignored the essence of his life and the horror of his death, Johnson said. We've allowed white America to escape the guilt of his assassination, and we've allowed black America to drift back into a coma. White America, we're supposed to have the guilt of his assassination? What does that mean? I didn't realize everybody killed him. We all killed him. We all lined up there. Although I don't think it was James Earl Ray, but he's dead now. We'll never know. Just like the thing with the Sirhan Sirhan. Anybody think he had like 80 uh, bullets and that one gun? I doubt it. Uh huh. And just like Lee Harvey Oswald. How's Jack Ruby doing? I won't see him no more. He's hanging out with Dorothy Kilgallen. Johnson said King is considered a martyr by many people, but added, if the civil rights leader were alive, he'd be considered an agitator by many others, the newspaper said. We remember him with parades and galas and banquets, things that are really irrelevant and silly regarding Dr. King's legacy. He said, if we really want to honor Dr. King, we should do something about people who live under bridges. That would be a great tribute. Well, guess what, Peter? We don't want to really honor anybody. All we want is a day off. That's America for you. We want another holiday, baby. We want another day off. Isn't that what it's all about? Of course. I mean, this is not a holiday, though, where people go out <coughs> necessarily and get drunk. Although, maybe some, like Josh Cordes, will probably go out and get drunk tonight. I thought yeah, all holidays were for that. Yeah. Fourth of July, Labor Day, all these holidays. Now, just another day off from work. Another day to go, uh, you know, get drunk. Just another excuse to... Party! Yeah! Don Cox is still dead, by the way. I I, I can't get over it. I've worked with so many people who are, you know, in around and about and whatever, now dead. And you're still here. Alan Burke is still dead. Charlie Kappas, still dead. Jerry Wichner, still dead. Jerry Williams, I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know why. I guess because uh, they were playing in New England. And there was some guy there who looked just like Jerry Williams. He was in the booth there with, uh, what's his name, The owner, uh, Bob Kraft. Mm-hmm. Now, there's an owner, Bob Kraft. I don't want to make any comparisons or anything like that, but there's an owner, man, who has given that community a, you know, a great stadium, a great team, a great coach, a great quarterback, a great uh, seven years. Four times in seven years to the Super Bowl. And what's the last time that the Dolphins were in the Super Bowl? 84, am I right? Yeah,
2: I believe that's right, yeah. But uh, I'm not going to blame Wayne for that. He's tried.
0: I, did I say that? Now you're putting words in my mouth. Now huh? you're trying to draw uh, You're trying to run a thing.
2: Well, when you're saying that there's, a great, there's a great owner, you know, yeah. what was the last time the Dolphins were in the Super Bowl? It's like mm-hmm. you're saying, you know, it's all Wayne's fault, which it sounds like.
0: I didn't say it was all his fault. Oh, okay. Just mostly. Oh, okay. 834 on the pool, just partly, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to give you like percentages. Is it 40% his fault? Is it. Not 30, 30, man. Who knows? I don't know. 32.6? Who makes the decisions? Huh? Who hires the uh, coaches and the general manglers? Who hires the scouts? Who hires all of these people? Who puts them on the payroll? Who is more electable? 834 votes. Boy, this is tight. Barack Obama, 277. Hillary Clinton, 258. 19 votes separate them. Tight, just like the Nevada primary, just like New Hampshire, Nevada caucus. Any, any state that wants to hold a caucus, all the people ought to be executed, okay, who go along with that idea. It's a bad, it's just stupid is what it is. Stupid. And these people in the media, oh, well, this is a real exercise in democracy. No, it's not. An exercise in democracy is what everybody is allowed to vote. And all this crap about these crossover, the states where they allow crossovers. The whole concept of primaries is that the political parties are selecting their nominees, the candidates for president. So the idea that the Democrats should let the independents and Republicans help make the choice or vice versa is stupid. Because a lot of times people from the other party go in in those states and they and they vote to support a candidate they think will be the easiest to beat. Am I right? You bet. You bet your sweet ass. It's like if if I could have selected who won the uh, packer Giants game yesterday, I'll pick the Giants, thank you, because I still think Eli Manning's a joke. Cuz he that, just uh oh, I, he's going to beat know. your boys. You look at him. What? <laughs> you heard me he's going to beat 14 the, uh, point underdogs the Giants okay uh-huh and I will say this I felt I felt bad for that field goal kicker oh the young one yeah Tom he's ugly Tom Coughlin the coach of the Giants who to me is one of the most goofy he reminds me of uh, who's the Bills coach now
2: yeah oh he looks wow. just like him he um, got that
0: I forgot his Dick name Dick Turan that's it He's always got that deer-in-the-headlights look on his face. Oh, what happened? Oh, Schmidt, you know, like, like that. And when he missed that second field, I mean, it was a bad snap, so it wasn't his fault. But he didn't just pull that to the left. I mean, he, he just kicked it, like, to the sideline, you know, like, almost mm-hmm. into the coach's face. And he comes back to the uh, bench. and Oh, gee. You, know, you could tell he was, like, bitching him out. Come on, butch it up a little bit. And then he kicked that long field goal to win a the game there, and he ended overtime. That's right. Tom Coughlin. He's like, uh, I think he knows Father Coughlin. Eight thirty-nine in the pool. We're pushing for nine hundred today. Even on a holiday, we can do it. We'll see. Then they will show us. Sports Radio Five
4: Sixty QAM, the sure. sports leader.
6: Public baby, only in Miami. Sorry, operator error.
0: I was screening. You know, we don't want to play anything that Joyce might not approve of.
6: Miami has the Dolphins, still the worst football team. The way they played this season Made everybody scream It seems to me that losing Has always been their goal And every game they play should be called the Super Bowl And they're the Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins number How many teams in the league? 32 Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins If you're their fan I learned he had the fans all wishing that Nick Saban would
4: return. Yes. If you think he's
6: a winner, then you have lost your mind. The next thing he'll be coaching is the unemployment line, and there are the Miami Dolphins. You fair. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number. How many teams in the league? Hey. 30, man. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins scrape off your shoes. Absolutely. The Dolphins have John Beck, a rookie quarterback. If you think he's the answer, you must be smoking crack. You know they could have gotten someone good like Brady Quinn. The way they waste their draft picks, it's nothing but a sin. And they're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number, how many teams in the league? Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, their talent scouts don't have a clue. The Dolphin games are boring when they're on the radio, and everyone was put to sleep by Jimmy Cephalo. When he is calling play by play, it's the same old tune. And just so Mandich had a job on Sunday afternoon And there's the right. Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins number How many teams in the league? There's Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins I hear the fans begin to snooze Icinga owns the Dolphins He's hired Bill Parcells And I don't have to tell you the way the tuna smells. They say he'll solve their problems. I wish him lots of luck. No matter what he tries to do, the team will always suck. And they're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number. Oh, what the hell, 32. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Dolphins, now they're through. I'm
4: dying, I'm, I'm, I'm the
0: 1248 at 560 WQAM. So we got Bo Camper, Kimba Bo Camper from 2 to 4 this afternoon. A late lineup change, okay? Sorry. Believe me when I tell you, sorry. 869 votes on your poll, I think we got 900 licked. As a right. matter of fact, you know something? What? We could have, I think, with a little more enthusiasm from you, but, you know, it's a holiday. Yeah, well, you know. We could have made a 1000 today. We won't, but we could have. Well, I tried, but, you know. You tried what? To say we can get a 1000 but someone said no. Yeah, but you didn't try to motivate them to vote. You can tell me any kind of crap you want. I'm not, I can only vote once. Oh, let's go. We've got, like uh, you. what is that, uh, 71 minutes. Let's go. You're going to get 131 votes in 71 minutes? That's 1.8 a minute. We can do it. Let's no. go, people. Not gonna happen. The Scottish government is considering asking the U.S. to rethink its ban on haggis imports. <laughs> oh. You know what that is? Uh, yeah, it's like sheep's.
2: Intestines or something like that?
0: Imports of Scotland's iconic dish were banned by the U.S. in 1989 in wake of the BSE scare because it contains awful ingredients such as sheep lungs. That's not... Uh, is that awful or awful? Here we go with another word. I know what it is. It's uh, the entrails of an animal. Awful? O-F-F-A-L? No idea. No idea. I-, I think awful is good. <laughs> such as sheep's lungs. Only an awful-free version of haggis is available in the U.S., eh? The move would be backed by renowned haggis maker Max Sween, which believes the American market could be a very lucrative one. Oh, yeah, give me some she- sheep's lungs now. A Scottish government spokeswoman said it'll consider engaging the U.S. government on its haggis export ban if there's popular support for such a move from within our world famous haggis producers. That's what the Scottish are known for golf, kilts, and haggis. Oh. God.
8: Oh, my God.
0: Joe McSween, co-director of family co- company McSween, said she hoped to see the ban overturned. The market is massive because there are so many expat Scots there, and once Americans try a good quality haggis, they can't get enough of it, she added. The dish is traditionally served with... What? The dish is traditionally served with neeps and tatties on Burns night. Say What? I don't understand anything in that sentence except the first few words. It is traditionally served with neeps and tatties on burns night. And it usually contains ingredients such as sheep's lungs, liver, and heart minced with onion. Ugh. It is boiled in the animal's stomach. Ugh. A spokesman for the... Uh, I'm doing this right in the middle of lunch hour. I apologize. Sorry. A spokesman for the Department of Agriculture said, We don't allow importation because of the U.K.'s BSE status. Plus, who wants to eat that dreck anyway? Sounds awfully traifed to me. Sheep are susceptible to TSEs, and thus the U.S. takes precautions on importing these ruminants from BSE-affected countries. However, a spokesman for Britain's Food Standards Agency said, We see no reason at all why people can't eat haggis safely, so long as manufacturers h- follow hygiene legislation. We have the strictest BSE controls. Oh, my God, the Brits. Now I understand why they all look like they uh, need the schmitz and I haven't had any in a long time. Like the queen. You think the queen takes a world dump every now and then? I doubt it. I really doubt it. I'm she's had a BM in 25 years, at least, minimum. And Prince Philip, oh, my God. Talk about a constipated look. You ever see him? Of course. You ever notice how he's always got that same look on his puss? I thought they all do. Yeah, pretty much. But he he's exaggerates it. Because he's got to put up with that nasty, spoiled bitch, that brat. Oh, I'm the queen. I'm the queen. I'm a queen, though, and I don't uh, run around bragging about it. You sure? 892 on the pool. Like I said, man, if you're 896, look at that. See, they're coming Wait. What? They're coming in.
2: In the environment around
3: us now. He's referring to the squabble over Martin Luther King's impact on history that heated up the race between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Needless rhetoric, says one senior New York leader. As we look, you know, Dr. King's legacy in people like Barack Obama and people like me. I'm an elected official, and the, you know, second African-American elected official uh, in
0: New York City's history. It is Dr. King's legacy and his shoulders that I stand on and so many others around the country. Now let me ask you this question. When When is the Bobby Kennedy Day? Uh, well, you know, he never became president, so. Did Martin Luther King become president? Only because they shot him first, so he didn't get to. And what about Bobby Kennedy? Well, See, yeah. I hate to break the news to you, Mr. I-don't-know-my-history. Martin Luther King never ran for president. I know that. Because back in that day, there's no chance that a black exactly. man got elected. But Bobby Kennedy was running for president when he got assassinated in L.A. See? We have enough holidays, don't you know that? And what about JFK Day? When do we have that? That's all, all President's Day. I bet you in the South they'd like to have a George Wallace Day. I guarantee you that. And maybe in Taylor, Michigan, they'd like to have one. 896, boy, we're going to have 900 and uh, two shakes of a lamb's tail. Now, maybe I do have time to read this now. I, I, no, I don't think so. <laughs> the Murky Toll of the Iraq War by John Turman in the Boston Globe. I don't have time right now. And Frank Rich, Ronald Reagan is still dead, which is a good thing, by the way. Oh, I do have time for this. Well, i got a huge pile here. You want to know why? Why? You want to know why? Make sure I have a huge pile every day. Because I do my homeworks, and I make damn sure i got a whole bunch of good stuff that people might just be interested in. Maybe not. I don't know. I thought it was because you didn't want to take calls. That's what I was getting to, because I know damn well I'm not taking any calls. Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama said this weekend that his campaign would give charities $40,000 in donations linked to his former friend and fundraiser, Tony Resco, a Chicago businessman who's pleaded not guilty to federal influence peddling and bank fraud charges. Obama already has divested more than 44 grand in Resco-affiliated donations during the last year. But Obama campaign spokesman Bill Burton said the campaign was made a comprehensive, uh, did make a comprehensive review of donations affiliated with Resco and found some we'd feel more comfortable not having. We don't want the money. We don't want to. Burton pointed out that other presidential campaigns have disposed of questionable funds, but added, our consistent practice in these circumstances is to give the funds to charity out of an abundance of caution has not been accused of any wrongdoing, and Burton said Obama had no reason to suspect at the time that the donations might be linked to allegations of impropriety. Obama and the campaign haven't been questioned by federal agents investigating Resco, Burton said. Burton said the new divestments were prompted by a published report Saturday that one $10,000 donation to Obama's 2004 U.S. Senate campaign came from a fraud scheme that Resco is accused of devising. Not that there's crooks around when there's politics, you know what I'm saying? Not that there's a bunch of crooks around like Jack Abramoff and like that. I should probably play that again. I should have played it every hour. on. Because I don't have uh, Abraham, Martin, and John, you know, by Dion. Mm-hmm. If I did, I would play it. But, you know, but that, that's the closest I got. I got this by Dion.
4: You know I've gone down the road, Stop it, Fanny Mae. I want to tell old Fanny what I heard of
6: Bob and said, don't stop me talking. I'm gonna tell
1: everything I know I'm gonna break up the signifier what people, somebody's got to go You know, Neil told Rich Richie told the bird And Bird told Annie Annie told
4: her mother Tell her, brother too, don't stop me talking I'm gonna tell everything I know The best talent. Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. Since fearless leader has won, Natasha and I no longer
6: have to look for moose and squirrel. Instead, we listen to the Neil Rogers fair and balance one to two
3: hour. The polls have closed here in New Hampshire. We have some numbers now in. Mike Huckabee in third with 12%. Sir,
6: Mike Huckabee finished third in the New Hampshire primaries, although he finished first in Iowa due to his evangelical support there. Now, why would evangelicals like yourself vote for Mike Huckabee? I want to change the atmosphere over my nation and make a difference where
4: glory is present. Hallelujah!
6: Uh, thanks. And why did you vote for Senator Huckabee?
4: Because he purified me. He justified me. Because he found me and I was messed up.
6: Okay, thanks for that. Um, sir, talk to me. One prayer. And every sin that you've ever committed is instantly forgiven. And one prayer can save you. One prayer. That is so cool. I'm going to go rob a bank and then say a prayer. Sir, over there, um, why did you vote for Senator Huckabee?
4: Yes, His grace! It's His it's place! It's ultimate! His place! It's place! His
0: you gotta quit
6: spitting on the mic.
0: Okay, it's 101. That's what we got. We got a race war. We got a religion war. We got two big wars going on in America, but the media doesn't want to put it in those terms because that would be bad. That would be too honest. Too true. too, Too two. And a gender war, too. And an, and an age war. We got four wars going on. We got the war between the men and the women. We got the war between the old and the young. We got the war between the uh, blacks and the uh, anybody who isn't black. And what's the other one? What I leave out. And we got the war between the Getskis, the religious bigots, and uh, the rest of us who just want to leave everybody alone. Just leave us alone. Oh, yes. but you have to believe. I don't want to, okay? I don't want to. We're screwed, huh? Did I ever tell you where that I don't want to thing came from? I no. don't think I ever told us on the air. Too bad George ain't there today. Well, I'll tell it again tomorrow. Remind me. Okay. So, I don't know, many years ago, uh, I am at my mother's for lunch on one of those infamous Tuesdays, and she's telling me a story about her niece, my cousin. I don't want to mention her name on the air, but uh, it's embarrassing. But she was always kind of like a little bit of a retard. Uh, Can I say that? Like a little, you know, not, not too bright. Mentally challenged? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And she married a guy who's also mentally challenged, and so their kids are like, really sad. Anyway... So my mother had been on the phone earlier that day with her sister, one of her sisters, my aunt, who lives in Rochester. And my cousin was in the room, and my aunt said to her, oh, talk to your Aunt Millie. She's on the phone. And my cousin's response was, I don't want to. And a phrase was born. Right. Now, incredible. Loud enough, of course, so that my mother could hear it. My mother was 100 years old at the time. See, I exaggerate, but in her case, she almost made it. She made it to 91. I used to tell her 90's old enough, and then she made it to, died on her 91st birthday just to prove I was wrong. That's uh, what a hard-ass she was. I'll show you a thing or two, Mr. Nels. She made it to 91 just to prove that 90 wasn't old enough. But nevertheless. I don't want to. Isn't that the, it's kind of reflective of the mentality you're dealing there with? Mm-hmm. As in, guess what? Because what? of me, because I put the big push on here for you. They're coming through. 934 vote. We need only 1.2 a minute in the next 57 minutes to get to 1,000 votes. If we can do that on a holiday, and this is a holiday for a lot of people, not for everybody, because there are a lot of people who won't give it off because they're just bigots. They won't give it the day off. Although, isn't it like uh, federal law? Correct. They have to give either this one or, or. President's Day. Well, oh, there's Mike Huckleberry Hound. For his courage and his moral clarity on this issue... Uh, You know, I shudder to think where this country is. I shudder to think what would happen if they let you anywhere near the White House. That's what I shudder to think. You farbition man, you are scary. He is really a scary. I wonder how many uh, Confederate flags he's got under his bed. Once again, the controversy has erupted over how many people are being killed in Iraq. It's an important debate, not only for beleaguered Iraqis, but for Americans seeking stability and a timely exit. This is that article I keep threatening to read, The Murky Toll of the Iraq War in the Boston Globe by John Turman. Mortality figures alone can tell a compelling story. Add to that other numbers that fill in our understanding even more, such as the scale of the flow of refugees of the women widowed by the war, and we have useful information. So what are these statistics, and what do they tell us about this nearly five-year-old conflict? Two kinds of accounts have emerged on the question of mortality. One is a literal count, body by body, from reports in the English-language press. Because the media, mostly based in Baghdad, cannot grasp most of the violence, this is an undercount, now about 84,000, even by the reckoning of its authors, the UK-based Iraq body count. The second method is to go out and ask the question in surveys of randomly selected households. This has been done five times under very dangerous situations. Surveys of this kind during the war are relatively new, and as a result, it's not surprising that the numbers they produced have varied, but there is significant congruence. The surveys agree that mortality is much higher than is typically held in political discussions about Iraq. The highest figure from Opinion Business Research, a private survey firm in London, is 1.2 million through August 2007. It's also the most recent. 1.2 million. Thank you, Mr. President, for all those dead Iraqi civilians and those low gas prices and that strong American dollar and the economy going to hell in a handbasket. Thank you so much. You butcher, you lunatic. About 15 months ago, a survey commissioned by uh, my center, meaning John Terman at MIT, and published in The Lancet found that 601,000 had died by violence through June 2006. This figure has created a firestorm of criticism, but the methods are sound, and none many peer reviews found any great, uh, anything greatly amiss. One recalculation brought the death-by-death violence total down to 450,000. What a bargain. Then last week, Iraq's Ministry of Health released its large survey, also ending in June 2006, finding that 151,000 had died by violence, but their data tables show an enormous excess death total of nearly 400,000 caused by the war and especially a flat rate of violence throughout the war. Because the interviewers worked for the government, it's likely that many respondents attributed deaths to nonviolent causes in order to protect themselves from unwanted attention. What is to make of all of this? The first conclusion is that hundreds of thousands of people have died as a result of the war. This seems incontrovertible. It is buttressed by the large number of displaced, some three to three and a half million caused by the war, and reported a total of 500,000 war widows. The second conclusion, which helps us understand the violence, is that such a human catastrophe accounts for the insurgency in ways that no other explanation does. Whatever one makes of these insurgents, they appear to be fighting to defend their towns and tribes, apart from Al-Qaeda's foreign operation. Violence begets violence, especially when foreigners are involved. The third conclusion is that Iraq's devastation runs deep and wide, kind of like your... Rack A generation of young men is being wiped out. Most of the educated have left. The poverty of widespread widowhood may become chronic. The health care system is in shambles. Neighborhoods and towns ethnically cleansed means long-lasting displacement for tens of thousands. The humanitarian aid challenge is vast and will last for many, many years. How this affects U.S. strategy is complex, of course, but two things stand out. First is that strategies to reduce violence against civilians and to increase economic and physical security are paramount. U.S. leaders seem to grasp this, but their actions, arming Sunni militias, for example, may prove foolhardy. Second, Iraq's neighbors must be part of the solution given the scale of misery. President Bush has never embraced this idea, but it seems more and more obvious as as the war drags on. Yet on Bush's recent trip to the region, Iraq was nearly absent from his agenda. The lessons from the killing fields and refugees and widows won't go away. The sooner we fully realize the scale of this catastrophe, the better we may be to work on reconstructive remedies. John Turman's executive director and principal research scientist at MIT's Center for International Studies. And he wrote that for the Boston Globe. Boston Globe, where the Patriots play. Oh! 18-0. Never been done before. And I'm sure that people like the brainstem and others, some of those hard asses who are living in the past, oh, well, they still have yet to win the big one. They've got to prove it. Well, guess what? They won the big one three times in the last six years. Am I right about that? Even a hard ass like you has to admit yeah, that. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Yeah. I don't think they have anything else to prove. And, of course, the giants, well, who knows? Who knows what evil lurks in Arizona? No snow here. That's a good news. Let me take a look and see what that temperature is, because I know Castro always listening. It's it's kind of, what was the word you used? Compelling, captivating, captivating. radio. minus eight. It's really great, but tomorrow all the way up to plus one. Not too bad, eh? You gonna be able to handle that? What? what kind of a heat wave for you gonna be able to handle? Yeah, I don't know. Nine forty six. I'll tell you one thing, because I've got my the baseboard heating on and then the regular, the central heat on in here the last 24 hours because it's just freezing out there. And I can't, I just, that's about, but the only thing I can say about living up north, I can't stand. I can deal with the cold, the snow, the ice. I don't like the ice. But the indoor heat, man, it just dries out your nasal passages and your whole brain is like, you know, your brain is like a lump of of prunes, you Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yep. From the indoor heat, not good. 9.46, 9.46, boy, they're coming. not only are they coming through, we are just kicking big, smelly ass on here this hour. I don't know why. Maybe they, they, all maybe woke they up. like you. I doubt it, but maybe they like you a lot. Yeah, they like me. They feel sorry for me. It's a pity. That, that's it. They feel sorry for you, especially today when you don't have Georgia to defend you against my obnoxious comments. It's all good. I'm a big boy. 9.51 in the pool, man. They're coming in in big, fat chunks. We only need one a minute. we got 50 uh, minutes for 49 votes. I told you we could do wow. it. Wow. Well, I mean, this is such an easy pull. How can you not have an opinion? I realize it's, it's it's not an easy choice. That's why it's neck and neck, nose to nose. That's why swillery is only 17 points behind Barack Obama. Because it's not easy to figure out. Will a woman have a better chance or a black man? What do you think? You know, I am i don't know because it's... Are you ambivalent? I don't
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember what that word meant. <laughs> yeah, you do. In other words, you can't decide. You're like... See, I I think Barack should be and is a good
0: candidate. Barack, Barack's not running. No, Barack, and I think he can do it.
2: It's unfortunately, it's like like the the poll said, he's too dark for me. You know, I think there's going to be too many people out there that have that idea in that thought. Bing
1: bang ding 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 ding
0: ding 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 I mean, you, you watch her. and I mean, there's the debate tonight in South Carolina, and you watch her, and then you watch him. And he's articulate. He's inspirational. He's intelligent. He's like, uh, you know, and she's like just a whiny bitch. Am I right? Yeah. You're... Shrill. She's shrill. And then that routine she put on there with that with the squirt in the t- oh, I've had so many opportunities for America. I just don't want us to slip back. Don't want us to slip back. We already have slipped back, and you've been part of the problem, honey slip back. Of course, she forgets about those votes in you know, order to fund the war and all this other. She forgets about all these things. That's right. Don't make any noise because Bubba, he's out there running around pointing the finger. He may lose some of his blackness before this whole campaign is over. The
4: wrong, biggest names. The best this is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio Q- being sports leader. Rogers. God.
5: Chelsea Victoria Clinton arrived three weeks early on February 27th, 1980 at 11:24 p.m. While I was recovering, Bill would put his foot on my throat, yank me by my hair and say, woman, don't spoil her. I said, okay. Chelsea was sold by her opium-addicted father when she was eight years old. Chelsea looked at him and said bad things about her daddy. That sealed the decision for Bill. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. But even more frightening, at the age of 15, Chelsea had come back to haunt us. She escaped and returned home, only to be sold again to a whorehouse. Who would want to do that to kids who had never done anything to them? Me, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Chelsea said, come on, Mom, don't do it. Oh, yeah, right, I said. Looking like a dazed boxer who had just been pummeled in the ring, she leaned toward me and whispered in my ear, You bitch. All right.
0: 117. I always like that, Chelsea. Not. I don't know. Although now she got her hair straight on a little bit. She do not look as freaky as she used to. Yeah, she's not looking too bad lately. Yeah, she looks almost human. 964 on Christmas pole. Wow. That's right. What's going on over there? I told you we'd make that thousand, but you got to lean on it. It's a holiday, man. got to push it. Yeah, push it hard. Frank Rich says Ronald Reagan is still dead. I say thank God. Contemplating the Clinton-Obama racial war, some Republicans were so excited you'd have thought Ronald Reagan had risen from the dead to slap around a welfare deadbeat. Never mind that the GOP is running on empty with no ideas beyond the incessant repetition of Reagan's name. A battle over race and gender identity politics among the Democrats, with its acrid scent from the 1960s, might just be the spark for a Republican comeback. As long as the GOP's own identity politics over religion don't flare up. Alas, these hopes faded on Tuesday night. First, the debating Democrats declared a truce, however fragile, in their racial brawl. Then Republicans in Michigan reconstituted their party's election year chaos by temporarily revivifying yet another candidate, Mitt Romney, who had been left for dead. The playing of the race card by Hillary Clinton's surrogates to diminish Barack Obama was sinister. But the Clintons are hardly bigots, and the Democratic candidates all have a history of fighting strenuously for inclusiveness. By contrast... The Romney victory in Michigan is another reminder of how Republicans aren't even playing in the same multiracial American sandbox. The conservatives who hyperventilated about the Democrats' explosion of identity politics seem to forget that Mr. Romney also dragged Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. into this campaign, claiming that he saw his father, a civil rights-minded governor of Michigan, march with King in the 1960s. The point of Mitt Romney's invocation of the race guard was to inoculate himself against legitimate charges of racial insensitivity. He had never spoken out about his own church's discrimination against blacks, which didn't end until 1978. Instead, the tactic ended up backfiring. Late last month, the Boston Phoenix exposed this touching anecdote uh, anecdote as a fraud. George Romney and King never marched together. I don't mean to pick on Mitt Romney, though heaven knows it's a thriving national pastime, but his retro persona exemplifies much of the present Republican dilemma. It's not just that the old Reagan coalition, economic and foreign policy conservatives is fractured. A more indelible problem for the Republicans in 2008 is that their candidates are utterly segregated from reality as it is lived by the overwhelming majority of their fellow Americans. One moment, please. Uh Uh-huh. I have to send a message. Oh, okay. As long as everything's okay over there. What? As long as everything's okay. Okay. Everything is great. I just have a very important message to send here to, you know. It's a holiday, isn't it? Uh Huh? I don't mean to pick on Mitt Romney, says Frank Rich, though heaven knows it's a thriving national pastime, but his retro persona exemplifies much of the present Republican dilemma. It's not just that the old Reagan coalition of social, economic, and foreign policy conservatives has fractured. A more indelible problem for the Republicans in 2008 is that their candidates are utterly segregated from reality as it is lived by the overwhelming majority of their fellow Americans. The GOP presidential field's lack of demographic diversity by age, gender, ethnicity, or even wardrobe, let alone race, is simply the leading indicator of how out of touch its brand has become. Mr. Romney's victory in Michigan was most of all powered by a lie far more egregious than his bogus appropriation of King. In a state decimated by unemployment, he posed before auto plants like an incongruously well-groomed Michael Moore, vowing to fight to bring back every lost job. His plan? He'd scrap the modest new fuel efficiency standard passed with rare bipartisan unity in Washington last month and give Detroit a $20 billion fund for energy research, not to be confused, he claimed, with a bailout. It's a poignant measure of Michigan's despair that some voters willed themselves to believe in Mr. Romney's preposterous antidote to the decades-long erosion of the American auto industry. It's a farcical measure of how little the other Republicans have to say about the nation's economic crunch that Mr. Romney's con job could pass for substance. This is long, by the way, okay? So if you get bored, go to sleep. Okay. Whatever the merits of the Democratic candidates take on our fiscal crisis, at least they saw the crisis coming. But Mr. Romney officially kicked off his presidential candidacy in Michigan, he started grandstanding about the misery in that state only after all his other campaign strategies had failed, and he needed a Hail Mary marketing gimmick. In his announcement speech in Dearborn last February, the loan economy he mentioned was the fuel economy of the Ramblers his father manufactured at American Motors in a distant past. Among Mr. Romney's rivals, Mike Huckabee, Mike Huckabee alone made an affinity for economically struggling Americans his calling card. Unfortunately, Huckonomics is more snake oil. All federal taxes would be replaced by a national sales tax that, despite its Aurelian name, the fair tax, would shift more of the burden to middle and low-income Americans. For the other Republicans, the downturn has been an occasion to recycle the mindless, what-me-worry optimism of the pre-1929 GOP presidents and Wall Street potentates since relegated to a nation's dustbin. When Maria Bartiromo, moderating a CNBC Republican debate in October, asked the candidates if the nation was heading into a recession, Fred Thompson found no reason to think so and pronounced both the near- and long-term economic future rosy. Rudy Giuliani extolled the glories of freedom in the market before promising that the sky's the limit. Even the White House half-heartedly acknowledged the home mortgage fiasco ahead of this crew. Instead, the Republican candidates have largely clung to illegal immigration as domestic crisis number one, to no particular point beyond alienating Hispanic voters. The election is more than nine months away, and already this obsession is blowing up in the GOP's face with non-Hispanic voters, too. Far from proving the killer app of 2008, illegal immigration is evaporating as a national cause. In the nearly identical findings of New York Times, CBS News, and ABC News, Washington Post polls this month, it ranks near the bottom. A top issue for a mere 4 to 5 percent of voters, and of course, Lou Dobbs. The economy at 20 to 29 percent leads in both surveys, closely followed by the total of those picking some variant of war in Iraq. As if it weren't crazy enough for Republicans to lash themselves to the listing mass of immigration, they are non-players on the issues that do matter most to voters. The more the economy tanks and steals Americans' attention from a relatively less violent Iraq, the more voters learn that the Republicans have little to offer beyond their one-size-fits-all panacea of extending the Bush tax cuts. To voters who do remember Iraq, the supposed military success of the surge doesn't accrue to the Republicans' favor either. Quite to the contrary. As every poll shows, most Americans still want the troops home ASAP. Republican declarations that were winning merely lead voters, many voters to a logical conclusion. Why not let the Iraqis take over the remaining triage so we can retrieve the $10 billion a month in taxpayers' money that might benefit us at home? This is why even poll-driven Mrs. Clinton, who's been the most cautious and ambiguous Democratic candidate about a withdrawal timetable, dramatically changed course to expedite her Iraq exit strategy in Tuesday night's debate. Thanks in part to the Giuliani campaign's one triumph, turning 9-11 fear into a running late-night talk show gag, the usual national security card is no longer so easy for Republicans to play. Conservatives not in denial see the crack-up ahead. All the usual indicators are dismal for Republicans, wrote George Will last week, concluding that November 4th could be their most disagreeable day since November 3rd, 64, when Barry Goldwater lost 44 states. But might some Republicans still win, especially if the Democrats are ultimately divided by race or by the Clintons or by their own inane new debate about Reagan? Conceivably, but only if someone besides Ron Paul is brave enough to break out of the monochromatic pack. That contender would seem to be John McCain. For all the often irrational anger directed at this conservative by his longtime antagonist in his own party, he is the sole GOP candidate who resisted the immigrant vigilantes. He might have done better in Michigan, where he spoke honestly about the grim prospects for the auto industry, had he backed up his prognosis with remedies less glib than a vague pledge to retain workers at community colleges. Education policy of any kind is MIA on the McCain campaign website. His ardor for the war, however, hasn't done him in. He handily won the growing Republican anti-war vote in both Michigan and New Hampshire. Apparently, many still remember that Mr. McCain was bitterly against President Bush before he was for him. Exit polls find that among voters in Republican primaries, as many as half have turned against the president. David Frum, the one-time Bush speechwriter and self-hating Jew, laments in his provocative new book, Comeback, that by 2008 his former boss had led his party to the brink of disaster and costed a generation of young Americans. At the last Republican debate, the candidates invoked Reagan nearly three dozen times and Mr. Bush just once. I take my inspiration from Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker, Bush said Mr. Romney, on his Michigan Victory Night, in a typical example of the candidate's circumlocutions about the incumbent president. This, too, is laughably out of touch with reality as practiced in most American living rooms. Imagine if Mr. McCain's straight-talk express stopped taking detours around the one figure who unites 60-plus percent of the population in ire. Imagine if he started talking about how he'd clean up the White House mess. That might at least break the ice with the vast majority of voters who look at the GOP presidential field and don't see Ronald Reagan so much as also runs for the bucket list. Bucket rhymes with, well, many things. Well, that was awfully long, wasn't it? Was it ponderous? No, it's fine. It's good. (laughs) As long as you didn't have to do anything, it was good. That's Frank Rich in yesterday's New York Times. God. Let's take some calls. Oh, just a joke.
4: Name. That's, all That's going to call me. Neil
0: Rogers. the 560 QAM. The
5: sports leader. Oh my god, your breaths are beautiful.
0: Stick it, stick it. 983 on your 40. You only need 17 votes for a 1,000. Chris is going to do it today. We're going to be talking at the water cooler, baby. All right. Not about you, unless I'll be talking at the water cooler. Anybody
1: here seen Jack Abramal? With his orange jumpsuit and fedora. He's screwed a lot of people, but thieves sometimes get calm. But God, if variety he'll come. Anybody here? Seek good Christian Dobson, will be moral rounder town You fairy! He's not convicted yet, but should be for he's done. Taking a shower with his son. Favors and lies is what the White House is paid for. For Christian to know what's best for you and me. Abraham, that
4: place.
1: he was in some degree. In other words, do he anybody here? Please take a time to lay me for an established in
4: and Look at that, 989. You
0: only need 11 votes in 28 minutes. That anybody could do that. A deaf, dumb, and blind man could do that. Let's go, people. Finish it up. <laughs> finish the job. Finish the job, man. Oh, guess what I got? What do you got? Story. Sicily's anti-mafia police have scored a major strike for the arrest this morning of Salvatore Lo Piccolo, A.K.A. Il Barone, the Baron, believed to be the supreme frost of the Cosa Nostra. On the run since 1983, the 64-year-old monster was pulled in with another dozen bosses and henchmen, including his son Sandro, 32, believed to be his bagman for collecting protection money. They were arrested in two small apartments in Giardinello, just inland from Palermo Airport. In Sicilia, there was a short gun fight as he was cuffed. Sandro yelled, I love you, Papa. Police say they found eight heavy caliber pistols in the suitcase. The arrest comes 18 months after the previous godfather, Bernardo Provenzano, a.k.a. the Tractor, was arrested in a peasant's shack outside Corleone. Oh, Corleone. How do you like that? The Tractor? tractor. Anti-mafia magistrates are sure that Lo Piccolo succeeded Provenzano as head of the commission that regulates the Sicilian mafia families, always known as La Cosa Nostra. Lo Piccolo had made a fortune from drugs and public works contracts, traditional mafia areas of business. In the zen suburb of Palermo, the men even persuaded residents to pay them protection money to keep the, rights on, the lights on at night in the quarters and the rundown apartment blocks. They paid him protection money to keep the lights on at night. Lo Piccolo's main rival has been Antonio Rotolo, both have been designated deputies by Provenzano during his reign, but they've been bitter rivals. Rotolo was picked up in a roundup that allowed the arrest of Provenzano. He said he'd been annoyed by news that Lo Piccolo was thinking of allowing the old Enzerillo mob back into Palermo. Among those pulled in today with Lo Piccolo were Antonio Scina, the personal doctor of both Provenzano and his predecessor, Tony Rina, the Beast. And Gerlando Alberti, who pioneered the redefining of heroin in Sicily and Calabria, an activity presently dealt with, previously dealt with outside Italy. Whatever that means. It seems clear that associates of Ricolo, who was running a mob within a mob of 13 families in Palermo, grassed up the Lo Piccolo group. Police have named a former Lo Piccolo bagman, Francesco Francesi, as a pentito or supergrass. Two other important bosses were neither. I bet you George would like some of that. Two other bosses were netted at the same time as Lo Piccolo, Gaspari Pulizzi, and Andrea Adamo, the princes respectively of Caini and Broncaccio. Uh, the most likely winner from the latest turn of mafia fortunes is Matteo Messina Denaro, head of the Trapani families in the western tip of the island. He wasn't around when the anti-mafia police ran their well-oiled roundup in Giardinello, so smooth that even the guard dog didn't stir from his kennel. Denaro is now thought to be the new boss of bosses, capo de capo, even though that position won't go undisputed for long. The pickings from mafia businesses are huge. A respected commercial index, index reported this summer that organized crime brings in far more than the biggest Italian multinational corporation, the ENI Oil Corporation, which rivals Shell and Exxon and earns 63 billion pounds a year. Lo Piccolo was criticized by his allies for taking a monthly salary of 25,000 pounds, 50 grand. The scene is set for another mafia war, bigger and better than before because the stakes are so high. Last time, 25 years ago, they left a body a day on the streets of Palermo and Napoli for more than a year. Wow. Well, wouldn't it be something if we had a body a day on the streets of Naples, Florida? I wonder where we could start, <laughs> Joyce. Now, uh, just a thought. How do you like that? You don't There's a little that. God for that, Father crap for it. And Corleone. Before I croak, that's a place I would like to visit. Corleone, Sicilia. Never been to Sicily. You haven't, of course, because you've never been anywhere. I've been to Amsterdam. You what? I've been to Amsterdam. You have? Yeah, I told you that. I forgot. You've nine been nine to th- Amsterdam? C. 994 on the poll. You only need six more votes. Where were you in Amsterdam? Where did you stay? At a pensione. A pensione?
2: Oh well, the uh, first night I uh, stayed right at the edge, like the the two uh, stores, like two whatever, down from the red light district. So after the first night, we then took a uh, hotel over towards um, it's like a uh, where the Hard Rock is like the other side of the mm-hmm. city, the, the nicer side of the city. Yeah. Took a uh, like a bed and breakfast over there.
0: The Hard Rock is on the Damrack, on yeah. the other side of the city.
2: Well, wherever it, in a little bit nicer area. Yeah. And uh, then from you there. So you stayed like in a real hotel. Well, no, it was, it was a bed breakfast. It wasn't really a hotel. It was a, like a three-story, you know, it was their own house Dump, at the bottom yeah. floor. Mm-hmm. No, it was a very That's nice okay. place. Very Good. nice place. Um, was, I think there was like a, I don't know if it was a casino or just like a hotel thing, like right in the middle, right on the water or the canals and stuff. That was I guess that was the hardback. I don't remember. I don't know. It's been a couple of years now. Um, took a train <laughs> over to uh, Denmark. Really? Yeah. Copenhagen? No. I feel no? Okay. Uh, I went to Brussels. But to a couple different places.
0: Well, great. That's good. That's a good... See the world, folks, before you croak, before they stick your ass in a box. That's my best advice. Steal some money or find a, a rich benefactor and go see the world somewhere. That was a lot of fun. Somebody told me there's nothing like finding a rich benefactor. I can't tell you who that was that told me that. This bash. 997C. $9.97, 997 on the point You need only three more vote, baby. And tonight we got the big Democratic debate. I just might watch that, but I sure doubt it. Oh, God. I don't, well, what, what is left to say, you know? What, what, why, why more debates? So we can have more racial hate, you know? I think they ought to have, like, a food fight would be good. Edwards and the Barack both ganging up on Swillery. Throwing a bunch of crap at her. But then I get left for ganging up on her.
4: Oh, they're ganging
1: up on me, I-oh. I don't want to fall back. I don't why want to me? fall why? back.
0: Why? Oh, my God. But, you know, it's, there are a hell of a lot more women than there are black people. There's a hell of a lot more white women. And there's a hell of a lot more Hispanics than there are black people. What would you think uh, is the Hispanic population of the country? Do you have any idea? I really have no idea. Why don't you Google it? Okay. And the black population is what, like about 13%, 16%? Because among the uh, brown folks, you know, you've got the black folks and the brown folks and the white folks and the uh, right folks and the wrong folks. And then, of course, you got the religious nuts. That's all Republicans. 998. When we come back from the break, we're going to have over a 1,000. I can't believe it. With, with, with plenty of room to spare, we didn't have to, like, go down to the wire. Maybe those ratings are right. Maybe we got the audience came back in spite of uh, many things that are going on. I don't want to get into them today, but we might. Biggest
4: names. The best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. The sports leader. Neil God. He's our candidate, Obama. Get out of the boat, cause we love Obama. Don't care his name, son, just like Osama. Obama, you beat Hillary. Obama, mom, the not forget your booty. Mama, will you still be around in November? Easy name, if will never come on now. Obama, he's our candidate, Obama. Get out of the boat, cause we love Obama. Don't care his name, son, just like Osama. Obama, mama, mama. Cutie, cutie, we love your wife's. Shake shape that thing all the way to Washington And let's party in the Democratic Party And the way you make the speeches makes the girls feel naughty
0: Dooty duty, got to be a duty Keep the flintons out of Washington And girls are kicking, hillary shaking And the way you campaign's got Republicans breaking Obama, you beat Hillary Obama, mother before, kick your booty Mama, will you still be around in November? Easy it you will never come on now Obama, he's our plan. His mama. Obama, mama. Oh, yeah, that's Barack Hussein Obama, according to the, uh, whoever planted that uh, recording, that uh, phone, uh, whatever they call those things, in Nevada. Barack Hussein Obama. 145, but then again, not that there's any dirty tricks in politics, you do understand that. It's oh, all about neither. making the world a better place to live. And look at that, 10-10 on the poll. Nice going. Ow! We did it. Told you. Told me squat. What Paul Krugman writes in the New York Times today, debunking the Reagan myth. A lot being written about the Ronald Reagan. And, uh, you know, why not just let him rest in pieces? Historical narratives matter. That's why conservatives are still writing books denouncing FDR and the New Deal. They understand that the way Americans perceive bygone eras, even eras from the seemingly distant past, affects politics today. And it's also why the fear over Barack Obama's praise for Ronald Reagan is not as something overblown. The fact is that how we talk about the Reagan era still matters immensely for American politics. Bill Clinton knew that in 1991, when he began his presidential campaign, the Reagan-Bush years, he declared, have exalted private gain over public obligation, special interest over the common good, wealth and fame over work and family. The 1980s ushered in a gilded age of greed and selfishness, of irresponsibility and excess, and of neglect. Contrast that with Mr. Obama's recent statement in an interview with the Nevada newspaper that Reagan offered a sense of dynamism and entrepreneurship that had been missing. Maybe Mr. Obama was, as his supporters insist, simply praising Reagan's political skills. I think he was trying to curry favor with the conservative editorial board, which did, in fact, endorse him. But where in his remarks was the clear declaration that Reaganomics failed? For it did fail. The Reagan economy was a one-hit wonder. Yes, there was a boom in the mid-80s as the economy recovered from a severe recession, but while the rich got much richer, there was little sustained economic improvement for most Americans. By the late 1980s, middle-class incomes were barely higher than they had been a decade before, and the poverty rate had actually risen. When the inevitable recession arrived, people felt betrayed, a sense of betrayal that Mr. Clinton was able to ride into the White House. Given that reality, what was Mr. Obama talking about? Some good things did eventually happen to the U.S. economy, but not on Reagan's watch. For example, I'm not sure what dynamism means, but if it means productivity growth, there wasn't any resurgence in the Reagan years. Eventually, productivity did take off, but even the Bush administration's own Council of Economic Advisors dates the beginning of that takeoff to 1995. Similarly, if a sense of entrepreneurship means having confidence in the talents of American business leaders, that didn't happen in the 80s when all the business books seemed to have samurai warriors on their covers. Like productivity, American business prestige didn't stage a comeback till the mid-1990s when the U.S. began to reassert its technological and economic leadership. I understand why conservatives want to rewrite history and pretend that these good things happened while a Republican was in office or claim implausibly that the 1981 Reagan tax cut somehow deserves credit for positive economic developments that didn't happen until 14 or more years had passed. Does Richard Nixon get credit for mourning in America? But why would a self-proclaimed progressive say anything that lends credibility to this rewriting of history, especially right now when Reaganomics has just failed all over again? Like Ronald Reagan, President Bush began his term in office with big tax cuts for rich and promises that the benefits would trickle down to the middle class. Like Reagan, who also began his term with an economic slump, then claimed that the recovery from that slump proved the success of his policies. And like Reaganomics, but more quickly, economics has ended in grief The public mood today is as grim as it was in 1992. Wages are lagging behind inflation. Employment growth in the Bush years has been pathetic compared with job creation in the Clinton era. Even if we don't have a formal recession, and the odds now are that we will, the optimism of the 1990s has evaporated. This is, in short, a time when progressives ought to be driving home the idea that the right's ideas don't work and never have. It's not just a matter of what happens in the next election. Mr. Clinton won his elections, but as Obama correctly pointed out, he didn't change America's trajectory the way Reagan did. Why? Well, I'd say the great failure of the Clinton administration, more important than even its failure to achieve health care reform, though the two failures were closely related, was the fact that it didn't change the narrative, a fact demonstrated by the way the Republicans are still claiming to be, the next Ronald Reagan. Now progressives have been granted a second chance to argue that Reaganism is fundamentally wrong. Once again, the vast majority of Americans think that the country is on the wrong track, but they won't be able to make that argument if their political leaders, whatever they meant to convey, seem to be saying that Reagan had it right. Amen to that, Paul. What are those uh, Obama uh, advisors telling him, huh? Ronald Reagan, my ass. Trickle-down economics, Chris's ass, and that's a lot of ass. As a matter of fact, stocks fell sharply worldwide today following declines on Wall Street last week and investor pessimism over the U.S. government stimulus plan to prevent a recession. Bush speaks and the world goes into a toilet. Thank you, Mr. President, for destroying the economy and the gas prices and all those dead people.
1: All of these things.
0: U.S. markets were closed for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but the downbeat mood from last week's market declines. They're circled through Europe, Asia, and the Americas. Britain's benchmark FTSE 100 slumped 5.5% to, oh, FTSE, isn't he on IOD? Yep, slumped 5.5% to 5578.20. France's CAC 40 index tumbled 6.8% to 4744. And Germany's blue-chip DAX 30 plunged 7.2% to 6790.19. In Asia, India's benchmark stock tumbled 7.4%, while Hong Kong's blue-chip Hang Seng index plummeted 5.5% to 238.18, its biggest percentage drop since the 9-11 terror attacks. Canadian stocks fell as well, eh? With the S&P TSX composite index on the Toronto Stock Exchange down 4% in early afternoon trading. In Brazil, stocks plunged 6.9% on the main index of Sao Paulo's uh, Bovesta Exchange. Say it again. Bovespa. Can you say it? I said it. Investors dumped tears because they were skeptical that an economic stimulus plan President Bush announced Friday would shore up the economy that's been battered by problems in its housing and credit markets. The plan, which requires approval by Congress, calls for about $145 billion worth of tax relief to encourage consumer spending. Concerns about the outlook for the U.S. economy, a major export for Asian companies, has sent the region's markets sliding in 2008. Just last Wednesday, the Hang Seng Index sank 5.4%. Japan's benchmark Nikkei 225, so 3.9%. And by the way, where's that guy who calls in? We don't take calls anymore, at least not for the uh, next 20 or 30 years. Where's the guy with, oh, the S&P is up, you Neil, know, the s and I hope you lose your ass, okay, you fool, you idiot, you clown. You fairy. Maybe he I go goes. to Woodbine, I know it's gambling. I expect to lose, and very often I do. Yeah, more than not. It's gambling. Now, if you want to take your life savings and gamble away, go ahead. Have a good time. More power to you. It's your money. It's a free, uh, well, to a point. Right, butterflies are free, and that's what you're going to have left. Butterflies. I got butterflies in my stomach just thinking about it. Boy, look how close that vote is, man, on the poll. Mm-hmm. Wow. Maybe that's why we got so many vote on there to trying to break the deadlock or the dreadlocks. You see, Osama's kid has got dreadlocks. Do you see that, Osama's? That's Jr.? Up. Wow. Getting my hair cut, starting at the neck. And, of course, instead of like, uh, well, you know, we can go back through that business again about the day after 9-11 and how all the bin Laden family got whisked away back to Saudi Arabia. Nobody else could fly. No planes were flying. Even Paul Anka couldn't get a, fl- uh, a flight. 10-16, 10-16. on the poll. That's really shocking. When we started, what do we have, like 40 votes, something like that? About a holiday five. For Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake. Who is more electable? Barack Obama 319, Swillery 303, only 16 votes separate them. Like a sliver, like a curly little hair. And I, I hope I don't know where that hair came from. Oh, God. Neither one 259, woman or a black guy. And I don't care 135, 13.2% of the supposedly stoop audience don't care. They don't give a flying crap. How do you like that? Isn't that Sad. depressing? I mean, even you give a crap, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Not a big crap, but, you know, little crap. I mean, obviously, people are interested in, like, trying to survive, man, stay alive, make a few bucks, fill the gas tank with gas so they can go and do and live, things like that. You know what I'm saying? All you all things. That's what your average schmuck is worried about. But at the same time, and all the young people that are talking a good game like always, oh, we're going to have a revolution, Barack's the man. The only problem is they don't vote. But other than that, <laughs> biggest they do. The best talent. You know, 560
4: QAM. The Sports Leader.
7: Let's abuse some more prisoners. Make them scream nice and loud. Get me some wires and a battery pack. All right. I don't care if they ain't from Iraq. To be used, used, used to the torture. Because we're just playing their game. Oh. In the past, it had to be worse with Saddam Hussein.
3: and growth my intention that uh, your ratings are giant now. Well, I don't want to show you what a big asset I was to you, and how. You thought you could find somebody good enough to fill my baggy pants? It ain't easy. <laughs> there ain't no chance I'll ever be coming back. <clears throat> Outside of considering a lucrative contract. Hmm? If you want to know what will save you from shutting that transmitter down... Oh, that's easy. Sure. do
4: you need to smoke. Don't you need Bobby come the gayest of a the and you need in the now think
3: it oh you need is the no, show no, no, no. you need the no, <coughs> show do to do do Yes. Jack told me to give you this. What is yes, he? <laughs> <laughs> and where are you
1: gonna go oh. fire me, huh? It's like time. <laughs> <laughs> Bye bye bye. The biggest names, the best talent. Are you sure? Oh, Bob, Bob. And your home for Miami Dolphins football. <laughs> sports radio five sixty WQAM. Oh, Miami Port
4: Lauderdale. <laughs>
3: And that's when the chuds came at me.